1: Six dollars ninety-five cents to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box five zero eight Fishers, Indiana, zip code four six zero three eight. All right, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, May 21st, 2012. Ay Show up on Monday, and you look at the pile and go, how am I supposed to get through that? Thank you for tuning in. you listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We will try to tackle them. Hit them head on and uh, and see if what people are saying is true or if they're twisting God's word. The idea is this, is that Christianity is not a free-for-all. It really, truly isn't a free-for-all. And when we look at the scriptures and when we look at early church history, there is a body of doctrine, there's a body of teaching that was central to Christianity and th- that body of teaching and doctrine, and the right understanding of Scripture, is key. It's vital. It's important. And in a postmodern world, uh, the postmodern world that we live in, truth is not something that is objective. Truth is something that is experienced. It's felt. And uh, the I, the idea is is that there's in postmodernity there's a collapse of what's called the subject-object distinction. And uh, the best way I can describe it is this, is that um, we, if you've seen the movie The Matrix, then you kind of get a picture or a glimpse into what is going on epistemologically. Now, I understand that's a big word. Epistemology basically means how you know what you know. But you get a picture of of how a postmodern thinks that truth operates. And it's this idea. The idea is this. You can't trust what you see. And so that's all, all perception. That would be eyes, ears, smell, taste, all of that stuff. You can't trust it to actually give you any kind of a picture of what's beyond what's going on inside of your brain. In fact, that what's beyond the, the inside of your brain may not exist at all. It could all be hallucination. It can all be some projection of some. Uh, you know, computer generated, uh, continuum, and you're just trapped inside of it. And so, what happens is, is that truth is not something that you discover. Truth is something, well, as far as your brain, it's like it's out there somewhere. Truth is something experienced internally within the mechanism and machinations of your brain. As you are in conversation within a community. Now I know that's kind of complicated, but so the idea is this: is that in the postmodern way of thinking, if if the if you are the subject and truth is the object that you're to learn, there's in their way of thinking, there's no way to get to object. There is only subject. Now I know that's kind of complicated, but work with me for a second here. So what happens in their way of thinking then? is that if you approach Scripture from a postmodern point of view, um, what somebody believes really kind of doesn't matter because there is no objective truth that transcends communities. Truth is experienced in conversation within a community. As you are talking with somebody who is part of the emergent church or is a postmodern You've got to keep this in the forefront of your mind. And this is something I've learned uh, both by studying um, the emergent church as well as by, well, going out and doing primary source uh, primary source research. Um, over the years, I've traveled to emergent conferences. I've become friends with a couple of people who are in the emergent church. I mean, and we are like... As theologically far as the East is from the west and and somehow there's a there's at least a mutual respect there uh as far as our differing opinions. It's kind of like um remember Penn Gillette talking about how he has respect for fundamentalist Christians. It's kind of like that, and one of my friendships is uh with nadia bowles Weber she's you know an emergent pastor. she's uh highly tattooed she's gay affirming i mean we are as far away as possible theologically, and yet there's a, there's at least a mutual respect there and a friendship that we have that allows us to communicate. But I I, I kind of liken it to, uh, the, the way Pen Gillette has a, a, a deep respect for fundamentalist Christians. It's kind of like that. Anyway, I digress. But the point being is this: is that with this mindset, it's difficult for you. Uh, it's difficult for anybody. Who doesn't really think about these things philosophically? You know the difference between the subject-object distinction to understand that people in the emergent church don't share the same fundamental um, epistemology or understanding of truth that you're just your average grassroots everyday American uh, human being. What I I would say because here's the deal is if you think about it, um, nobody drives their car with the uh, with the philosophical understanding that there's no distinction between the subject and object. Uh, even Brian McLaren, when he's driving down the street, he assumes the subject-object distinction and that truth is knowable, and he steers his car around obstacles and uh, stops at red lights and stop signs and makes sure that he has enough clearance to pass when he's passing cars on the highway. He, he He's not postmodern when it comes to driving. But yet when they approach truth it's a completely different ball game. They don't believe that truth is objective and transcendent. Okay, at all. Um and you know y- y- you have a conversation with somebody who's in the emergent church and it's like why do you think that way? And they would probably answer you, "Well, I've always felt that way ever since I was a child." You see the difference? See, I'd ask the question, why why do you think that's the way that is? Answer Well, that's the way I've always felt that to be. So what happens is, is that you you can't trust reason. You don't the truth isn't objective and or transcendent. Uh it's it's kind of a free-for-all because what you believe, teach, and confess really doesn't matter as long as you're faithful to what's what the truth is that's being experienced in particular communities. So Community Y over there in Portland, Oregon, the Faith Community Y that's in Portland, Oregon, they might have a completely different experience of the truth than Community X out here in Indianapolis or Community Z over in Pittsburgh. But in their way of thinking... No one's right or wrong. That's kind of like the wrong way of putting it. You know, There, you don't talk about truth as being true. You talk about it as being, well, truthful within the context of community. Now, I know I'm, I'm probably bending your mind here with this kind of stuff, but you've got to listen and get this. The reason being is, is that you need to know where to challenge those who have bought into postmodernity. And here's the deal. This is the kind of the dirty little secret. It's not just people in the emergent church like Doug Paget, Tony Jones, Weber, Bullsweber, um, you know uh, Brian McLaren, Phyllis Tickle, and others that uh, Phil, uh, Peter Rollins. It, it, it's not just those guys who hold on to this postmodern worldview. This postmodern worldview is pervasive, and the other people who hold to the same worldview would include. Rick Warren, Bill Hybels, Bob Buford. I would even argue Craig Rochelle, Stephen Furtick, Perry Noble, um, other major uh, yeah, Tommy Sparger from the uh, from North Point in uh, Rolla, Missouri. He also is clearly postmodern. And it's Shane Hips from uh, from Mars Hill, Rob Bell. The, the, all of these guys are postmodern in their way of approaching it. And so what happens is is that when you hear somebody like Rick Warren say, "Oh, oh, oh." I believe in the doctrine of the trinity I don't believe in the same god as as Muslims do you got to listen carefully because in history's past his, uh theology has been done using uh, both thesis and antithesis and I think it's very easy for people in the who are postmodern to hide behind their orthodox statement of belief that they can post on their website because it only contains thesis, but rarely antithesis. And so, you know, if I could, you know, have another conversation with Rick Warren, I, I would have a very different list of questions that I would want to ask him. Because it's clear to me that uh that Rick Warren buys into the same worldview that Peter Drucker had. Okay. Um, you know, it's very much akin to the same worldview that Nadia bowles Weber has, but the difference is, is that Nadia has the courage of her convictions to hang it all out there and say, this is this is how I feel. Rick, on the other hand, I think he's he, uh, the, using Phil Johnson's term. He's chameleonic, and he wants to kind of blend here and blend there and blend this way and blend that way. And as a result of it, he doesn't say things nec- you know very often that will raise suspicion as to what it is that he believes. So if I could have another conversation with Rick Warren or a conversation with Bill Hybels, um, you know, I, I would do not only thesis, I would do antithesis, and and he, here's what I mean by that. Okay, Rick, you know, you've said that you believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay, that's great. Now, but now let's see if that's a universal truth. If God, if if belief in the doctrine of the Trinity is absolutely necessary in order to not run afoul of the biblical prohibition against idolatry that would be the question so by saying that do you then condemn all those who who believe differently regarding god including unitarians of all stripes you know those within the uh, um with within islam you know and uh, and others i mean do you deny mormonism as being true absolutely you know, that, that they will not be saved because they are believing falsely. They believe in a false Jesus and a false God. You have you have to do both thesis and antithesis in order to really flesh this out, and that's where they you you it, you can detect where where they're at. It's not enough to ask somebody who is postmodern, who is visibly part of a quote faith community, that supposedly affirms. Uh, Christian Orthodoxy, you have to also ask them by believing this, are you then excluding and you know and these are not just personal exclusions, the Bible excludes them. you understand what i 'm saying? Do you then exclude those who teach you know contrary to this article and so one of the things I really enjoy and I think is very helpful. About the Lutheran confessions, I am a confessional Lutheran, is that when you read like the Augsburg Confession and and, uh, and the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, it's not just, oh, we affirm this to be true, but we also deny or anathematize along with the the Christian church these heresies you know uh, christological heresies heresies regarding the nature of man pelagianism and semi-pelagianism and so um i in the postmodern era um in order to exercise good discernment and to be able to ultimately confront people with their sin and call them to repentance and faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, it requires us to be able to be at least conversant and understand that the task at hand isn't just finding out what somebody affirms, but finding out whether or not they've bought into a postmodern worldview, which would then somehow make it so that they could that they don't, you know, they don't exclude. Bibli- you know w- according to what the bible excludes does that make sense i mean when w- in the in years past you, know, you look at church history you look at uh how the apostles and the early church fought gnosticism you look at how the early church uh fought the pelagian heresy you look at how the early church fought the arian heresy uh, the Sibelian heresy and other things they did not say oh well that's just a valid Experience of truth in those particular faith communities, in the Arian faith community, or the Pelagian faith community, or anything like that. Instead, um, instead they uh, you know they saw that those who were holding these doctrines, these heresies that were contrary to the revealed word of God. Notice, truth is objective, it's knowable and it's transcendent. Okay, this is the way the church has operated from the beginning that those who hold different views they're excluded from the kingdom by virtue of the fact that they the god that they believe in isn't the biblical god by virtue of the fact that the gospel the good news that they believe in isn't the biblical gospel so as a result of it you know we are to call all sinners including doctrinal sinners idolaters to repentance and faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins because truly Christ died for the sins of the world that's what the, you, you look at uh, at uh, John the Baptist who says of Jesus behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world but people in sin and unbelief constantly resist the work of the holy spirit through sound preaching and through the biblical gospel, and want to persist in sin and unbelief. And so it's, I I apologize for the phrase, but when people go to hell, it's their own, well, damn fault. Because they refuse, they persisted in sin and unbelief. And so we must, must, must be reaching out to our postmodern friends and family and and other folks and even postmodern uh heretical uh emergent cohort leaders or postmodern uh seeker driven pastors or postmodern you understand what? and call them to repentance and faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins the problem is is that in order to do that in a way in order to remove the obstacle of postmodernity you must be aware of what it is that you are up against and it's very easy and i know this because i've you know i have talked with emergents for many years now for post to postmoderns for many years now and it's very easy to not see the full picture because it's not just what they affirm it's the fact that they don't deny that becomes an issue when you're talking with them we'll talk about this a little bit more uh, in future editions of Fighting for the Faith. But let's talk about what we're going to do on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. I have got a Patricia King update that I've got to pass along to you. Uh, Patricia King is a regular here at Fighting for the Faith. And uh, she's got a new video talking about wealth visits of kingdom businesses. That's the name of it. Wealth, vi- wealth visits kingdom business. I have no idea what this means, but I can tell you this, uh, that because Scripture is true and it's knowable and sound doctrine is true, objective, and knowable, Um, What Patricia King brings to the table, even though she's part of a, quote, faith community out there in Phoenix, (laughs) it ain't true (laughs) in any sense of the word. Anyway, so we've got that. Uh, We're going to take our break right after that. And then I'm going to – I've got a a short interview that I did with my mother-in-law. No kidding. I I did a short interview with my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law and my wife together came up with the idea – for what uh, Pirate Christian Radio and Fighting for the Faith needs to do in order to uh, uh, make budget during the summer. Last year we had a bake sale uh, with uh, you know handmade goods. This year we will be doing something similar. And it's my mother-in-law who came up with the idea, so we're going to be talking about that. Um, I've got a Doug Paget Emergent Church update. Uh, he was recently featured on a Humanist uh, cable uh, program. And I want we're gonna probably chop that into three pieces, and I want you to hear it because Doug, Doug, there, openly talks about it, discusses in a way that he he's not hiding what it is he believes, and and I want you need to hear from his mouth how somebody who is postmodern in their thinking, Doug being about the most postmodern of the postmodernists, I mean he 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 learned postmodernity and language deconstruction from Derrida. you know, it, I think it's important for you to hear that, and uh, and, and I'm just thinking, oh, are we going to have time for the other piece of this? I the, the, there's I've got an ace in the hole. It depends on how much time I burn, but uh, it, second hour we're going to be listening to a sermon from Church by the Glades. Uh, uh, Pastor Hughes down there has uh, been doing a sermon series called Animal Planet. Uh, not very creative. It's obvious he was inspired by uh, Ed Young out there at Fellowship in Dallas. But uh, the sermon we're going to be listening to is called Birds of Prey. And no kidding, this is the very, 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 very first sermon that I can recall that actually has a movie clip from the movie Dumb and Dumber in it. No kidding. So, I mean, that's what we're going to be doing uh, for... uh, the uh the rest of the program here so make yourself comfortable um yeah of course you know your listener experience is really important to me And if you'd like to enhance your listener experience you can do so by wearing fuzzy bunny slippers i've tested this out myself and know for a fact that your listener experience will be enhanced if you uh put on fuzzy bunny slippers while listening to fighting for the faith as long as the weather's not too hot in your neck of the woods so with that we're going to dive into the program proper here we go Do you own a um, kingdom business? Well, if you do, then, well, Patricia King has a special message from God, the Holy Spirit, to give to you. Uh, th- th- at least those of you out there who own kingdom businesses. I'm not sure what that means, but here's Patricia King to explain the details.
2: Wow, I'm carrying a word from the Lord right now. About-
1: <laughs> really, you are? What are you carrying it in?
2: About kingdom businesses so if you're a business person or you're feeling a stir towards business this is for you because i see i'm going to call it the spirit of wealth because it's what comes from the heart of god it comes from the holy spirit it comes from mm, the spirit of wealth his presence the spirit of wealth is going to be visiting kingdom businesses and you're going.
1: wow that's great um when when can he pencil me in i i think pirate christian radio counts as a King Business, Spirit of Wealth has yet to visit Pirate Christian Radio. I'm just saying, I'm hoping that we're on the docket for this week. That would be nice, you know.
2: I'm going to get downloads of Revelation
1: from the... Uh, I don't need any Revelation downloads. I got the Bible.
2: Lord, Isaiah 60 has been a scripture that has been key to my heart for many, many years. But there's a fullness coming with it in this next season that is going to hit many of you that are watching this video because it
1: isaiah 60
2: talks about a rising and shining because your light has come and the glory of the lord has risen upon you that word glory in all of isaiah 60 refers to wealth Uh
1: (laughs) hang on a second here it's not that i don't believe her it's just that i don't recall so every time I see the word glory in Isaiah sixty, I'm supposed to understand that as as well. So Isaiah sixty uh, verse one: Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. That means wealth. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness and peoples. So I, so if the glory is shining, that means wealth. So then, is, does that mean that darkness then is poverty? Um, Anyway, um, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory, that means wealth, will be seen upon you. Oh, okay. And the nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Um, <laughs> um, okay, I'm <laughs> having, I don't think the nations are going to come to the brightness of my rising, Patricia. Um, Yeah, I just, I get the feeling just in a cursory look at Isaiah chapter 60 that this really probably isn't about me. This might have something to do with the Messiah, you know, or things like that, but I don't think the nations are going to come to the brightness of my rising. Nor do I think that we are to understand that every time the word glory appears in Isaiah 60 that we're supposed to think of the word wealth. Yeah, I, I think that's like totally missing the whole point of the passage.
2: It's, it speaks of commodities and increase of the copiousness, the abundance, and the wealth of God. And so get ready, get ready to receive. I, this is so real. There's... Okay,
1: so what do I got to do to get ready to receive it? I mean, you said the, that, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit is going to, you know, the Spirit of wealth was going to be visiting my kingdom business in the very near future. Um, that's great. Um, so do I need to vacuum? I, you know what I probably should do is clean the toilets. You know, you, you, that'd be really embarrassing. I mean, the spirit of wealth shows up at your kingdom business, and the toilets aren't clean. Maybe we should get the food out of the, you know. Anyway, you know, the you know, toss out the uh, the old moldy fungusy food. And, you know, things like yeah. I think those are practical ways to get ready for the you know, the visitation of the spirit of wealth.
2: It's going to be Christian businesses are going to be expanding, or businesses who that are owned by Christians. We're going to infiltrate nations and cities and expand territories through the business mountain, through business and through the
1: the Through the business mountain? Huh? Oh, okay, this sounds like New Apostolic Reformation Seven Mountain Dominionism kind of stuff going on here. Yeah. I have no idea what any of those things she just said means
2: initiatives. Some of you have been pioneering this realm for many, many years. You've been the forerunners. And in, in fact, I'm seeing... Yeah, I'm not
1: only a forerunner, I'm at least a five or a six runner. That's what I'm thinking.
2: Someone right now that you've, you are weeping almost right now. You're feeling close to tears because you're saying, I've known this for years, but no one validates me because they don't see the value of business and marketplace ministry. But the Lord says you're right.
1: Uh-huh, so you need validation. Okay. Maybe I might go to a therapist. They might validate you. You know, I usually get my you know parking tickets validated. You know, when I anyway
2: on track. You are right on track because he's using the business community to bring light and life into cities and nations, and he's going to do it more and more and more. Uh
1: huh. Because in Isaiah sixty, every time you see the word glory, you just replace it with the word wealth and blammo. Now you can see it.
2: Christians are going to be visited with so much wealth that there'll be many, 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 Christians that come from nothing into being multimillionaires almost seemingly very quickly over. And the then the
1: nations will come to the rising of your wealth. Yeah,
2: maybe a few short years or something because of the wisdom that God is going to download to them, the wisdom and the building blocks that God is going to give to them. It's just right. Good.
1: So do I need to open up like a Swiss bank account or something like that? Yeah, I feel bad for like the, you know the folks in France, you know, with their new socialist government. I mean, they're going to be taxed at 75%. So, in order for them to become like multimillionaires, they're going to have to make a truckload of money. it's um,
2: going to be amazing. So, get ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready to Yes, accept- I'm ready. accept wealth.
1: To accept wealth. Oh, man. <laughs> What does this have to do with biblical christianity?
2: If you were given, let's say, 5 million dollars. Yeah. Tomorrow.
1: Yeah. I know exactly what I'd do with it, too. I'd probably set up a very large billboard campaign in the Phoenix area, uh letting everybody know about the heresies of XP media. Just, you know, things like I, that's what I'd do with 5 million bucks, you know. Or
2: $50 million. or
1: Well, then I'd make it a national billboard campaign warning people about you.
2: How about $500 million? Or- Five
1: hundred? Well, I'd take out full-page advertising in the New York Times, the Phoenix Sun, and other things, letting people know that Patricia King is a heretic, and you need to avoid this woman's teaching at all costs if you value your own soul and don't want to spend eternity in hell. That's what I'd do with $500 million bucks, you know?
2: How about a billion dollars? If you yeah, I,
1: I don't know. After a, you know, it starts kind of getting silly at a billion. But
2: to be given to that tomorrow, do you have that dream capacity? To- oh
1: yeah, big dream capacity to expose um, people who are teaching falsely like you. Yes, I know exactly what I do. You know, it's funny. I get all those offers from you know African royalty on a daily basis. I never take them up on it though. Seems kind of dubious to me, but
2: know what you would do. Are you thinking like a person of wealth? I'm not.
1: Yes, I sure. Yes. I'm trying to think of all the ways I would use wealth to warn the greater body of Christ about heretics like you
2: talking about the love of money. I'm not talking about to get your mind all set. I know. I'm trying to figure out how to serve people with it. You know, stop interrupting me. Oh, how much money I can make and stuff like that. I'm talking about, are you ready to receive what God wants to give you? And if you were to give it to you, how would you steward it?
1: Well, I just explained it.
2: Because I'm saying prophetically, get ready.
1: All right. (laughs) Isn't that great? Patricia King has just prophesied over me, a kingdom business owner. Then I'm going to be getting all kinds of wealth, and you know, because I now have the dream capacity to imagine me using that to expose heretics like her.
2: It is so coming.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, because that's how you know it's really coming, because how long the O is, and so, yeah, if it's so coming, that means it's really coming.
2: It is so coming to the body of Christ. I was in a nation not that long ago where um, I met a, a man of God who is an overseer of many, many, many churches, thousands of churches now. When he started out years ago, his nation was actually in a crisis and many, many people were poor and Christians were oppressed and persecuted. But he believed God's word and he started just just ministering to the Lord, ministering to the Lord. And at that time, he had a small congregation, and all of them were poor. But he believed the promises of God regarding abundance and regarding wealth in Deuteronomy eight eighteen. And now
1: they all got mansions and Olympic sized swimming pools. Wow, that's amazing.
2: Eight eighteen is a key verse for you
1: uh-huh. because Deuteronomy eight eighteen. Let me look that up here. Uh Deuteronomy eight eighteen. Huh. You don't mind if I put that in context, do you? Here, let's take a look at it out of context to see what it is that she's trying to get at here. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Hmm. Just the immediate context will tell us who he's talking to. Is God promising us to get wealth? Uh, Deuteronomy 8, uh, well, let's see here, 11. Um. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I commanded you today. Ah, God's talking to the children of Israel out there in the wilderness between Egypt and the promised land. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery." Aha! So that's what's going on there. God is basically saying, listen, you're about ready to go into the promised land. And you're going to go from basically, you know, kind of a a sustenance type of living, you know, daily manna. That's about it. Um, You know, their their supplies are running thin, if you would. And the folks there, um, they pretty much got a few pairs of clothes and a tent and maybe some animals, things like that. But for the most part, they don't have much right and so they're going to go into the promised land and God is saying now when you get there and your wealth increases and you go from sustenance living to uh you know being able to have well the equivalent of you know a modern day bank account or something like that don't forget the Lord your God the warning here is not to let wealth become your idol or a snare to your mind that's what this is warning about and so here we get to uh verse 17 it says beware lest you say in your heart My power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Right. See, both poverty and riches come from God. And the idea here is not to make wealth an idol. So she's taking it out of context.
2: It says God gives you the power to create wealth in order to confirm and establish his covenant. And so this man of God believed Ugh. that. And before long, his people started multiplying. He started getting more and more people in the church. They started praying and worshiping God corporately. And God started blessing them with increase.
1: Wait, doesn't a church, by definition, worship God corporately? Just saying, you know.
2: To this day, he has masses of multiple millionaires within his congregation, and most of them were not millionaires that had come to the Lord. Most of them were people who had been poor that became millionaires.
1: Yeah, so if you're poor, you know, you know you're doing something wrong. you you, you, got, you got the wrong God, apparently. What a mess. Anyway, okay, we are up on our first break. If you would like to email me regarding anything that you've heard on... This edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook, it's Facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there at christian We'll be right back with a brief interview with my mother in law. No kidding, yeah. You don't want to miss it. We'll be right back.
3: presents Church
1: Day Select.
3: tuning in to another episode of audacious bible time i'm your host stanley andy today we're going to be reading from matthew chapter 3 verse 7 from the furtick audaciously revised translation of the bible here's what it says but when he saw many of the pharisees and sadducees coming to his baptism he said to them you brood of bloggers who warned you to flee from your mother's basement Thank you for listening to Audacious Bible Time. I'm your host, Stanley Andy.
4: spend some serious time staring at a digital screen probably around eight hours a day there's work video games surfing the web and every other function of life on all our devices hey we live in an age where everything is digital it's just par for the course right but have you ever thought about the impact all that has on your eyes All that screen time is going to affect your vision. Maybe now, maybe later, but it's gonna happen. We're talking everything from eye fatigue and headaches to eyes that are so dry and irritated, they could make even the techiest dude alive want to go analog. It's pretty hard to do the stuff you love if your eyes are feeling exhausted or burnt out. But it's not like less time in front of a screen is an option these days. So what do you do? It's like you need some crazy awesome invention that can help your eyes stay fresh and protect them so that you can get the most out of your digital consumption. Introducing Gunner Optics. Gunners are these super sweet computer glasses that make it easier and more comfortable to enjoy all your digital activities. There's seriously some NASA-grade stuff going on here, but basically they have this uber-smart lens technology that improves your visual experience, protects your vision, and helps prevent wear and tear on your eyes. Gunners yellow lenses filter out harsh artificial light, which helps you see better, and they relax your eyes and stop them from straining constantly. Plus, they help combat all those other nasty side effects of staring at screens all day, like eye fatigue and dryness. Your eyes do a lot for you. Return the favor with Gunners. For more information
1: about gunners and to see a video with me wearing my pair of gunners, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash gunners. That's G U N N A R S. Again, piratechristianradio.com forward slash gunners. And thank you for your support. Bum, 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 bum. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could, well, cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if your pastor is postmodern and he's not rightly teaching God's Word as if doctrine matters. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions. In order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world, you can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our famous two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Now, I've been mentioning the fact that we are already into the dreaded uh, summer slump financially, and last year our solution was to have what we called a bake sale. We call it our T-shirt bake sale. This year we're going to have a bake sale as well, and offering. Um, literally uh, homemade goods, if you would, and uh, I interviewed my mother-in-law earlier today to discuss what we're going to be offering by way of the first round of our bake sale to help us make budget during the summer. And uh, so here is my interview with my mother-in-law, Judy, to discuss the details. All right, on the line, I have my mother-in-law, Judy. Judy, th- welcome to Fighting for the Faith.
5: Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here.
1: Now you're you're an avid listener to Fighting for the Faith, and you, I think you get grumpy when you when you skip episodes or you're not able to hear it, like you know, when you're having internet problems.
5: You know I do. It's awful. <laughs> okay, I get very irritated.
1: Well, I, 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 it's very nice that my mother-in-law is a supporter of Fighting for the Faith. I I, I don't think that uh, you know my marriage would be as smooth if if we were at odds regarding what I did for a living. <laughs> We have fun. Uh, yes, we have fun. Anyway, yes. and, and you love the uh, the Patricia King segments. I
5: love the Patricia King segments.
1: Okay, now I, we're, we're pre-recording today's edition of Fighting for the Faith, and I just want to let you know that on purpose I put a Patricia King segment in this edition of Fighting for the Faith just for you.
5: I am so glad. She's one of my favorites.
1: You know that. Now you, you, what you have like, you have bizarre names for like different people on the program. Um, what, what, do you, what do you call Patricia King again?
5: I call her Phyllis.
1: You call her Phyllis. Okay, that's right. I
5: call her Phyllis. I don't know why. It just came to my mind one day. She sounds like a
1: Phyllis. Right. You know, this is hilarious. The other day, um, you and I were talking on the phone, and uh, you were commenting on a segment that we did. And um, you said, "Yeah, that that sex segment that you had with Henry on there," and I, I muted the phone and I've all Barb, who's Henry again? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like your names, I they I I can't draw the connections. Anyway, the reason why I got you on the line is because uh-huh. um. You know, as my supportive mother in law, you, you decided, you actually came up with the idea for, uh, for part of what we're going to be doing for this year's bake sale to help Pirate Christian Radio make budget. Every single summer, it just seems like, uh, you know, the, the traditional thing that happens is, is there's a tapering off of uh, finances coming into PCR but of course our you, you know our expenses don't go away and so last year we you helped us out in you know the f- order fulfillment for the uh for the t-shirt bake sale that we had but you're the one who came up with an I- the idea for one of the things we're going to be offering for our summer bake sale this year and you know, maybe you could tell us about it i mean you you are they call you the, they call you beaters is that what you guys are
5: yes that's what we are it's uh it's a hobby i picked up years ago um we have an RV, and we decided one year to go to a service center to get it serviced. And so the closest one to us was Oregon. So we went up there, and, and it was Monaco Service Center at the time. And they had classes in beading, and I started beading. And I love to do crafts, arts and crafts. Uh-huh. So I picked up beading, and I just haven't stopped. Okay. I haven't. So that's that's how it
1: happened. You know, and Barb, you know, Barb and the girls, I mean, they all have uh, some really nice necklaces and bracelets that you've made as part of your beading hobby. So um so you came up with the idea of putting together a, a bracelet kind of well, that kind of has piratey kind of um colors a color scheme to it but it's right. it's it's really nice and uh and so uh you and Barb worked together to uh to design the 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 this bracelet as well as uh, to find a you know a, a company to help put together a, a charm and you guys actually took the the Pirate Christian Radio logo with the Cairo flag and you had it made into a sterling silver charm to go with these uh these bracelets that you beaded, right?
5: Right. It is absolutely gorgeous and t- it took uh actually several months to get this all put together. And the bracelets came out just great. They really did. And the charms are absolutely – they're perfect. They really are. They're wonderful. And like you said, they are sterling silver. So they're pretty valuable.
1: Okay. So what we're going to be doing this year uh, for uh, the first part of our bake sale to help us make budget during the summer – it's hilarious that we're doing it this way. We're going to be offering <laughs> for sale um, at piratechristianradio.com forward slash bake sale, piratechristianradio.com forward slash bake sale um there's only 83 of these in existence by the way we're going to be offering the uh, the bracelet that my mother-in-law beaded and and uh, with the cairo sterling silver cairo pirate christian radio logo um and uh, that's gonna help that's gonna help us make budget uh, during the summer but judy i i think it was a great idea it's very clever it's it it, it i you know was actually working with uh one of your finished bracelets this afternoon while we were putting together the website
4: and oh, they they yes. lo- they
1: look fantastic um in fact they're better than my photography uh <laughs> but glad you liked uh, yeah no they're great they're great and so um you know if if a listener wants to support fighting for the faith and pirate christian radio during uh, the summer of 2012 there's 83 of these available uh once they're gone they're gone and uh, all the proceeds are uh, going to basically help us make budget during the summer so
5: <laughs> yes all of them
1: well I, and, and you Every penny. right and you understand that uh that the other there's other radio programs out there that you know after a certain amount of time they make their uh, their archives they put them behind a, a paywall as a means of ensuring you know, that they're, they're able to make budget. But I, I feel really strongly that I want to keep all the archives of Fighting for the Faith available for free because one of the things I've discovered is that when people uh, first discover Fighting for the Faith, um, you, you can actually watch it through the traffic logs that we have on our server. I mean, they don't just listen to one or two episodes. They'll end up going back several months or a year and listening to you know, you know a, a lot of episodes of fighting for the faith, and I, it's it's there as a resource to help them. As a result of it, you know, we're I think we're perennially going to have uh, the summer months always be a challenge for us. But uh, your idea is going to truly help us out. And I again, I appreciate the fact that you support fighting for the faith and and what it is that I'm doing, and that you and Barb had come up with this clever idea. So if if somebody wants to uh, it, now these aren't autographs, so I. <laughs> I should let <laughs> let everybody know. My mother in law's not autographed these. So.
5: <laughs> no, there's no place to do it. <laughs> I hope I hope everybody that buys one enjoys them because they're all done with love. I love Chris. I love the show. It's just been it's just been a fun project for me and hopefully we'll do something like this again.
1: Well, yeah, I can't I can't wait to see what you and Barb come up with next year. So Oh yeah, uh, yeah. But this is this is phase one. Phase two won't be something handmade. But uh, you know, we're, we're, we have we ha- we've got to offset this by making at least something available that's a little bit more with the male uh, testosterone vibe. This is definitely for our female <laughs> listeners.
5: And I kind of can't help you with that one.
1: Yeah, because you know, I I don't know of any great male beating things that. <laughs>
5: Well, I don't either, but we're thinking about something for Christmas. Which kind of it sounds like a it should be a fun thing to do,
1: right? Well, Judy, again, thank you so much for all the hard work that you did and for supporting, uh, you know, helping support us during the summer months. And I'm I'm excited to see uh, what people think when they uh, when they get their uh, you know their edition of uh, limited edition of uh, of this uh, handmade bracelet that you've made for our summer bake sale. So. Thank well, you. I'm
5: excited, too, and thank you very much. It was my pleasure.
1: All right, and I'll, I'll tell Phyllis and Henry that you you did this. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please give them my best. I, I will do that. All right. righty. Thanks, Chris. Bye. So that was my mother-in-law, Judy, and uh, the two of us discussing the uh, the bracelets that she handmade. Literally, she handmade 83 of these bracelets, uh, in order to for us to sell them for this summer's bake sale, to uh, you know help Pirate Christian Radio and uh, Fighting for the Faith make budget during the lean summer months, and uh, we haven't discussed price. But go visit Fighting for the Faith dot uh, not Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio. That's sorry. Yeah, Pirate correction Pirate Christian Radio dot com forward slash bake sale. And uh, I've taken a photograph and posted there on the website so that you can see the uh, the bake sale bracelets. There's uh, 83 of them uh the the pirate christian radio logo is made out of sterling silver and and, and the, this is my mother-in-law's work and uh and uh because of the fact that the 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 charms are are made out of silver we're not able to actually give a discount on it but uh each bracelet is avail- available for 49.95 plus $4.95 shipping and handling and, uh, and you know, keep in mind that all of the proceeds go to support Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio and to help us make budget during uh, the lean summer months. So um, take, head on over there, take a look, and uh, support Fighting for the Faith. And there's, you know, it, there's a really nice thing there uh, that uh, our, our female listeners would probably enjoy wearing uh, while listening to Pirate Christian Radio and Fighting for the Faith. Okay, moving along. These are the sounds of the Emergent Postmodern Philharmonic Orchestra. Doug Padgett conducting. Phyllis Tickle on French horn. Brian McLaren playing bongo drums. That's right. Set free from the subject-object distinction, they are now just subjectively experiencing notage. Letting the Spirit guide them in a vibrant community experience of musical triumphery. Force. Okay, so that's our uh, segue music into the um, whenever we do an emergent update. And uh, recently, Doug Paget appeared on a local cable uh, program that is broadcast in the greater Minneapolis, Minnesota uh, Twin Cities region. And it's it's uh, basically the name of the program is called Humanist Views. Now, the reason I want to play this, and I'll probably chop this up into three different segments and play them at different times is because in this conversation that uh, Doug has with um, the guy who is hosting this Humanist Views program, the guy is a a humanist atheist, Doug discusses, quite candidly, what he, as a postmodern emergent, believes. And he even touches on epistemology Community and other things like that. And so it, it, it I think it's a fantastic art, uh, not article, but interview to pass along so that you can really hear from Doug Paget's own mouth what it is that he believes. Because as we begin to understand postmodernity better and better and understand where it comes from, it is truly a counter enlightenment, anti enlightenment philosophy that has its roots in uh, Rousseau, Kant, um, Heidegger, Husserl, uh, you know, uh, 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 Nietzsche, and then, you, and of course, you got Rorty, Foucault, Derrida, and, and others, but uh, you, you get what I'm saying, that this is, he discusses his worldview quite openly, and you can see the impact that his postmodernity has on basically keeping him from a proper understanding of uh, biblical Christianity because he can't epistemologically embrace uh, scripture as authoritative the way that, well, Christians have historically. Anyway, so with that, here's Doug Paget on the Humanist Views program out there in Minnesota. Uh, this is part one. Listen in.
6: Welcome to Humanist Views, a program where you look at current issues from a humanist point of view. I'm Scott Lohman. On tonight's program, we're going to look at a different uh, subject than we usually do. We're actually going to bring in um, a liberal Christian, and we're going to talk about some of the case areas where humanism and liberal Christianity um, will link up to be together, some places where we're different, and just get a feeling that, you know, we're not always out <laughs> to get the people at the other end of the spectrum. We don't share our beliefs. So uh, I'd like to welcome Doug Padgett to the program.
0: Scott, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah,
6: and you're you're local. You do a local radio program.
0: I do, and yeah, yes, and I have a church in Minneapolis. You have a
6: church yeah. in Minneapolis, so tell mm-hmm. me a little bit about that. Sure,
0: it's called Solomon's Porch, and we're located on Forty Sixth Street, just west of Nicollet Avenue, okay. um, on Blaisdell. So, and we've uh, been around for twelve years. Okay, and it's a uh, community of artists and social do-gooders, and
1: notice community. <clears throat> Again, you have to you have to understand this uh, concept of community as really a denial of the existence of the individual in time. Okay, this is Rousseau's understanding. You know, uh, postmoderns are collectivists. They are not. They do not believe in the individual. They do not believe in the inherent rights of the individual. So this is key. So notice how he describes it: community.
0: Uh, Christian people and, and people who aren't uh, okay. professing Christians, but that are a part of this community because, as we like to say there, we want to live our lives in the way of Jesus in the world. Okay. So we're Jesus-y in that okay. sense. Um, but I think we're also part of a large movement in North America to okay. do religion a little differently.
6: Okay. Yeah, I, I do listen to to a variety of, of, of stuff on that, and they, there's a versions of Christianity to find your end of it a bit on the scary side because yeah, yeah. you're moving away from the, the hardcore, you know, whip people in into shape yeah. style Christianity.
0: Yeah, Christianity is a complex family. Yes. And there's uh, the family squabbles are endless. <laughs> and uh, we are we are not held in high favor by all members of the family. Okay, that way. Um, and-
1: yeah, I mean, Considering the fact you have a different Jesus and a different gospel, the question of family—well, I—I don't see us as part of the same family.
0: And some—some some of that's people growing and working it out and figuring out how they should live in the world. And some of it's um, people being nasty. Mm-hmm. And some are just good old honest disagreements about how we should live um, in our world. And—and and, you know, we we have the sense that you can, you can walk arm in arm with people that you don't see eye to eye with. Yeah, and yeah. that's. Uh,
6: that's very much a humanist approach too. Mm-hmm. That's the yeah. one thing that we look to do uh, as part of the humanists of Minnesota mm-hmm. is that, you know, once once we're done with the the not believing in God in our case, it's like okay, so that's that. Now what do we do? So yeah. then we it's the humanist ethics of going forward, of connecting with our fellow human beings Mm -hmm. and since we're from our point of view all that's here we need to figure out how to work together to solve problems because there's nobody else out there to help us yeah
0: well it's interesting i come from a a theological perspective that would argue that the same kind of argument that what we're called to as people in the jesus narrative Mm -hmm. is to be fully about this life here and now
1: okay notice emphasis on the imminent. That means the here and now, not the transcendent, not eternal doctrine, not salvation from the wrath of God. Um, not, you know, salvation as far as terms uh, regarding, you know, salvation from hell and eternal life and in, in the kingdom of God. Not, not, no, that's the, again, notice. So in the postmodern view, eminent not transcended. I mean, this is straight down the line. Listen, Go back and listen to my lecture. Resistance is futile. You will be assimilated into the community. These are all of the themes in spades here that Doug Paget is uh, just fleshing out and discussing quite openly.
0: So in the Jesus language, Jesus would say the kingdom of God is at hand. The okay. kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is among you. This is it okay this is now it may not be all of it Mm -hmm. but it's still it okay it's um and so in the 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 kind of tradition that i come from you don't compete the future against the present okay so there's no trade-off if you are one who holds to an afterlife or not okay um that's that's really not in the conversation set any longer, which
6: you all. know which we we like from our point of view because mm-hmm. that gives us more because we tend to focus on on the here and now, yeah. because you know from our point of view, there is not anything afterwards, right. so it's kind of silly to think we're gonna move on to something better when we need to make sure that other people can simply move along
0: right oh that's a great phrase yeah and and we are often um, a part of a a conversation within Christianity people at Solomon's Porch my church and a whole network of churches around the world are like this who are trying to constantly remind other Christians Mm -hmm. that the here and now really matters in fact we're often accused of being humanists. Okay. So yep. it's sort of interesting. Mm-hmm. So when we met a few years ago, um, you know, I felt a bit of, a, of affinity toward what you all are about because some of the more um, heavenly minded and future focused Christian right. uh, parts of the, the Christian family often accuse us of basically just being a religious version of you all.
6: Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's yeah. interesting to to listen to some of the sparks fly in that because that's just it's like okay, their spats are not quite as scary as some of our well, oh, we, you right? know, even yeah. humanist atheists we have mm-hmm. a few things going on because there's some debates like that, but mm-hmm. you know it it does help to know that there are ones where we can look at the same things mm-hmm. and come up with ways to work together to yeah. work on you know social issues like the you know the gay marriage amendment that's mm-hmm. coming up in Minnesota yeah. in fall of of 2012, we're taping this in the spring of 2012, mm-hmm. um, that are you guys, you know, ag- against that?
0: Yeah, so I'm, I'm somebody who's advocating on the within the Christian community to try to get people to defeat that amendment.
1: Okay, so um, that's a case where... Okay, now, there there's Doug Padgett explaining he's going to be working against, the, you know, the amendment that would basically define marriage between a man and a woman. Now, it's important to understand why would a postmodern take that view? Somebody who calls himself a Christian take that view. The answer is actually pretty simple when you understand their worldview. And that is in order to be authentic, okay, that means authentic to yourself and the truth that you're experiencing. From the postmodern point of view, somebody who is um you know attracted to somebody of the same sex, that's their truth. That's their experience. That's how they define themselves. And so you don't have a right to come along with the Bible and tell somebody that they can't be what they're what they're made to be. OK, they would see that as, well, God made them that way in order to be authentic and true to themselves. They've got to, uh, you know, the, you know, Christians need to just embrace people the way they are and let them experience the truth of who they are. Um, and And you'll notice all the subjectivity. So Doug, taking the postmodern view, then would obviously be working to you know to recognize and to normalize homosexual behavior, and he's trying to do this from within the uh, the the confines of Christianity itself. Problem is that this is that God's word is transcendent, and truth is not something that's. Felt, it's there's a subject object distinction and our minds are to be transformed by the word of God. And so homosexual perversion, homosexual attraction, those are all things that are condemned by God as sinful, contrary to the way God made us. God made us male and female. He did not make, and he didn't, that's just the way it is. That's how the plumbing works. God did not make four categories or five categories male, female, uh, homosexual, male, lesbian, by, uh, lesbian, female, bisexual, or anything like that. It's male and female. That's the compliment that, that, the sexual compliment that God made. And God's word transcends all of our feelings. But see, you have to understand that somebody Who has those types of attractions, they think that's who they are. But scripture says, yes, that's who you are in your sinful nature. And you're to repent and be forgiven because that is sinful. Okay. Somebody in a postmodern worldview would basically say, listen, that person needs to be authentic to who they are. And they need to, in their experience of that attraction, that shouldn't be shunned or. Or judged or condemned, it needs to be embraced so that they can ha- continue to feel good about who they are, and and that's who God made them. You, you see the difference, okay? That's why Doug is doing this because from the postmodern point of view, in order to be authentic, you are authentic to who you are internally. Your feelings are the ultimate arbiter of what's true. It's a form of relativism, but understand that's in, in true within conversation within a community. So they would recognize the LGBT community as a community of sorts. And so what's true in that community is true. Okay, That's what they're experiencing. Who are we to say that their feelings are wrong? Or We can well oh, yeah. end up I mean, working together. I, I would easy.
0: imagine, yeah, on that that <laughs> political issue and on a whole n- number of other issues of how human beings should treat one another. Yeah, I can't imagine there's a lot of sunlight between our no, there wouldn't. Our, it doesn't sound like that. So, and I often wonder why the um, why there is such a level of animosity it, between the two. And I know it comes from both both camps. And I've got a bit of an idea why the Christian people are afraid of humanists. Um, but I sometimes wonder why humanists.
6: More of it, it's that we, so, the, some of us, you know, come out of certain traditions and th- are,
1: we're, we're... Okay, notice something here, okay? Doug, in talking with an atheist humanist, would not say that he's wrong. That is his experience of truth. This is, uh, Loh- Lohman is the guy's last name. This is Mr., I think, Steve Loman's experience of truth within the humanist atheist community. And so here we've got two community representatives having a conversation.
6: Burned by religion. And yeah. so there's a, a factor in that with some. But mm-hmm. as you get past that, then you start looking and realizing that um, Christianity is not all one flavor. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a fuller spectrum. Mm-hmm. But the trick is for us figuring out who's closer to our part of the spectrum. Yeah. And you know that we don't necessarily know because we're not necessarily flowing through that. Mm-hmm. We're keeping an eye on the ones that are... Out, out to yeah. do the bad stuff. Well, And I've wondered so.
0: if, if sometimes humanists and, and atheists as well feel as almost like a persecuted group in the United States in their experience um, and have a bit of um, reluctance to too closely connect with religious communities.
1: Okay, Now, this is kind of an important one of the other themes in postmodernity, one I haven't really discussed, is that they the postmoderns believe that those who hold to a the view of objective truth use that absolute idea of truth and, in order to oppress people and to hold them down they basically are ex- it's uh, this is about power being uh you know being exerted on other people to suppress them and exploit them so christians who hold to transcendent knowable truth claims that are binding on all human beings the reason that that ultimately that's a mask for power okay and they as a result of it are persecuting and suppressing different communities like the atheist humanist community and persecuting them using objective you know these claims to objective truth and stuff like that so i'm translating here so that you can so that you can kind of i'm teasing out The postmodern themes that are going on here
6: can be on that, especially when um, you look at some of the reactions to the reason rallying. And Mm. but the fact that they 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 even did it was cool that they had 20 to 30,000 people uh, showing up in Washington, D.C. to do that. Mm. So we're getting attention. Um, We're also seeing things because the nuns, when you take a look at religious surveys, are growing in our country the non affiliate the non affiliate within not saying they're saying none to any religion yeah. they're not yeah. saying christian They're not saying buddhist they're not saying muslim right. they're, they're saying they're not
0: even in relationship to a religious
6: right and that. so then we need to we're trying to help figure out to market ourselves so that they will see that we're we're an option because um one of the cool things i noticed mm-hmm. about about the american humanist association which is our our parent organization that chartered our chapter um, did a, a
1: yeah, it's Scott Lohman by the way, not Steve. But a n-
6: bus ad campaign a couple of years ago oh. Oh. that said "Be good for goodness' sake," and it had <laughs> a a Santa or you know a, a mall Santa on there, mm-hmm. and that got controversy. And to me, that was cool because one, it was getting controversy, and two, they knew we were on the map. Mm-hmm. We hadn't even pissed anybody off mm-hmm. enough to know that there were humanists out there. Probably so you know, it was interesting. To say, "Well, who are they to start saying things?" So. With us, some of it's letting people know it's there because usually the only people who know about humanists are people who are in the Unitarian end of the spectrum yeah. mm-hmm. who have decided, well, i maybe you know they share the philosophy or they're even ready to leave even the churchiness of Unitarianism. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and there's I, I know in, in the Christian tradition there's a bit of a problem because there's this big question amongst a lot of Christians that if you're not religious. Can you be moral? hmm You know, it's, a, it's oh, an intrigue. Yeah. And I was raised in a family with no religion at all. Okay. So until I was 17 years old, I hadn't been in a church building. I didn't know any of that that kind of function or what way that that all went. So I wasn't... By the way,
1: the Bible answers this. There's none righteous, no, not one. See Romans chapter 3.
0: Raised with a religious tradition or impulse or anything. mm mm-hmm. Had a very deep sense of God mm-hmm. since I've had memory. So I'm just one of those people okay. that like, nothing I can do about it. Yep. It's just there. And I, But I, I was raised by, by parents who wanted me to choose on my own and mm-hmm. didn't push religion. I had no religious sort of experience at all. So it's intriguing to me when
1: notice I notice experience, no, the emphasis on the subjective.
0: I hear Christian people say, well, can you be moral if you're not religious? And I'm like, <laughs> Uh, that, that is so, I mean, it, yeah. at one level, it's so insulting yes. to me, right? Because I feel like, really?
1: I mean, that, that- I feel. By the way, I don't, I, I don't even think it's a good question, okay? Because n- there's no one who's truly moral, okay? So when we talk about morals, we, we got to make sure we're, we define definitions and use clear language, with clear definitions. But notice his reaction. Really? That, that made me feel.
0: That, that implicates so many people mm-hmm. um, who have lived and who will continue to live. It's just a ludicrous question. But it's real to people, isn't it? It is. I mean, pe- when you see the surveys, many, many people believe that if you're not religious that uh, believe in God, mm-hmm. um, then you wouldn't derive any kind of morality. I mean, I even heard on, on the, the, a news program uh, this weekend, I'm talking about, you know, because it was Easter, mm-hmm. you we know, were filming this just on, on Sunday, and so the news programs do their Easter stuff. Because yep. um, it still does draw ratings, right? Like yeah, Time Magazine
6: and exactly. Newsweek, they all do their religious stuff. They've yep. had their, a couple of covers like that recently. Yeah, it's their biggest
0: selling magazines of the year. So there you anyway, um so it, it is still a market. But the, it was raised that, like you, the idea was raised that about Mitt Romney being the nominee mm-hmm. you know, as a Mormon, which is yes. a big deal. And the, and the commentator said, well, you still couldn't be an atheist and have a chance of running for president. Like, um, because people believe that you can't be moral without
6: With a belief in, a
0: belief in, in God.
1: Yeah. Well, this is funny because um, when I debated Doug a couple of years ago now, um, we actually went and uh, we spoke to... Uh, a class at at, uh, at George Fox University there. I think it was like a philosophy apologetics type of class. And the topic really had to do with um, something similar to this. And the point that I made to that class was this. When we talk about good versus evil, moral versus immoral, every single one of us is making an appeal to a standard, okay, And so the idea is is that the real conversation regarding whether or not atheists can be moral is not whether or not they can, quote, be moral in the civic sense. The question is, what standard are we using to determine whether or not somebody, whether they're an atheist, a Christian, a Hindu, or a Muslim, is, quote, moral? Moral is an appeal to a standard, and without a transcendent standard there is no way for us to say this person is immoral and bad and this is good and to be embraced and this is great and this is not great and that's to be rejected okay if truth doesn't rise above a community and the community decides for itself what is good bad moral immoral okay then no community has the right to say to another community hey we don't like the fact that you say that's good rather than bad, right? Because at that point, there is no transcendent moral standard that we can all, all look to. And that becomes a problem. For instance, if you talk to somebody who is truly postmodern, and I've posed this question to people who I know who are postmodern, as well as my friends who are postmodern, flat out we'll ask them, okay, here's the question. Hitler kills six million Jews. Is it wrong? Is it immoral in the truest sense of the word? If they're postmodern, and I every single person that I've talked to who's postmodern, okay, this is at emergent conferences, as well as people who are friends of mine who I am who are emergent, whom I've asked the question of, each and every one of them would say who i can't say with any specificity whether or not that's really bad or immoral in fact um one emergent author i got to find his book um he did a break a breakout session at the um oh what was the name of that emergent conference i went to a couple of years ago in washington dc i forget the name of it now but um he did. Somebody asked him this question. You know, it wasn't me, but somebody asked him this question at his breakout session. And and he, uh, the name of his book, by the way, is the God Imagination. I've got a signed copy of that somewhere here. And um, but literally asked him this question, and his answer was pretty much to the effect of, "Well, we got to keep in mind that Hitler is in the kingdom of God." Okay, when you do not believe in an objective transcendent moral standard okay it has to come from outside of every human community it has to be above and beyond uh you know every human nation people group or whatever there's only one standard that's like that and that would be the moral law given by god in the ten commandments okay that really appeals to really the way god created us okay You shall not steal, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall have no other gods before me, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, you will not covet. All of these laws are transcendent, objective, knowable, and binding on every human being in every community. That's the idea. But without an understanding that truth is transcendent, knowable, and binding on all human consciences— there is no such thing as an objective moral standard and that really becomes the crux philosophical problem for atheists because an atheist who says i'm a moral atheist immediately asks the question define the word moral in that sentence by what standard are you are you moral how do you come up with a moral standard Apart from a standard that is revealed and given to us, that's transcendent. How are we to say that killing people, you know, in cold-blooded murder is evil ra- rather than good? Right? You understand what I'm saying? You can't say that killing six million Jews is bad if you don't have an objective, knowable, transcendent standard by which you're judging these things as to their moral nature, or whether they're, they're moral. Anyway, I'm going to pause the uh, Doug Paget interview right there. We're going to break this into three parts. So that was part one today, and what we're going to do now is we are going to take our second break. And when we come back, what we're going to do is we're going to be doing our sermon review, a uh, Animal Planet sermon review from Church by the Glades. You're not going to want to miss it. I do, but can't anyway. So if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so at my email address. Talk back at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash piratechristian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pirate Christian. We'll be right back.
0: If you think God is a black woman named Papa, then you need to get out of the shack and read your Bible. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
1: The spring and summer travel seasons are just around the corner. And the last thing you want to do is pay more for your airfare, hotel, and rental car than you need to. That's why Pirate Christian Radio is proud to have Cheapo Air as one of our featured advertisers. Cheapo Air has over 18 million flight deals, low airfare guarantees, and 85,000 negotiated hotel rates around the globe. And if you visit our website piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap we have a promo code that will save you an additional ten dollars off of cheapo airs already low prices so visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap write down the promo code click on the web banner and book your spring or summer travel today and remember a portion of your purchase at cheapo air will go to support pirate Christian radio that web address again is pirate Christian radio.com forward slash cheap. Thank you for your support.
4: You spend some serious time staring at a digital screen, probably around eight hours a day. There's work, video games, surfing the web and every other function of life on all our devices. Hey, we live in an age where everything is digital. It's just par for the course, right? But have you ever thought about the impact all that has on your eyes? All that screen time is going to affect your vision. Maybe now, maybe later, but it's gonna happen. We're talking everything from eye fatigue and headaches to eyes that are so dry and irritated, they could make even the techiest dude alive want to go analog. It's pretty hard to do the stuff you love if your eyes are feeling exhausted or burnt out. But it's not like less time in front of a screen is an option these days. So what do you do? It's like you need some crazy awesome invention that can help your eyes stay fresh and protect them so that you can get the most out of your digital consumption. Introducing Gunner Optics. Gunners are these super-sweet computer glasses that make it easier and more comfortable to enjoy all your digital activities. There's seriously some NASA-grade stuff going on here, but basically, they have this uber-smart lens technology that improves your visual experience, protects your vision, and helps prevent wear and tear on your eyes. Gunners yellow lenses filter out harsh artificial light, which helps you see better. And they relax your eyes and stop them from straining constantly. Plus, they help combat all those other nasty side effects of staring at screens all day, like eye fatigue and dryness. Your eyes do a lot for you. Return the favor with Gunners.
1: For more information about Gunners and to see a video with me wearing my pair of Gunners, visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash Gunners. That's G-U-N-N-A-R-S. Again, piratechristianradio.com forward slash Gunners and thank you for your support okay we're back hour number two of fighting for the faith sermon review time yeah I gotta do this right All right, here we go. Hey, whoa. The good, the bad, and, uh, well, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's um, entertaining animal exposition (laughs) uh, comes to us via Church by the Glades out there in Florida david hughes presiding and the name of the sermon the birds apparently uh... he's taken his cue from ed young and like ed young has decided to exegete all the spiritual things we can discover about birds now now i understand Listen, that i, I get that i'm a grandpa okay i'm totally there um... That being the case, you know, for years, creeping decrepitude has crept upon me. And if I get this wrong, it's not because I'm trying to engage in deceit. It's just that the brain didn't remember. That being the case, I am fairly certain to like 95% certainty that this is the first sermon that I'm reviewing with a movie clip from Dumb and Dumber in it. (laughs) And the timing couldn't be worse. (laughs) I'm not kidding. Now this isn't a movie sermon, so don't think that this is a movie. The sermon based on the movie Dumb and Dumber. It's not. He's exegeting birds. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) just the thought of it is. (sighs) Okay, before I (laughs) knock myself out, here (laughs) I'm just gonna. I'm already cracking up. That's not good. Anyway, so without any further ado, here is the uh, sermon from the sermon series Animal Planet entitled The Birds. Here's David Hughes. Here we go.
3: Glad you're here, man. I I think it's going to be so much fun. I always think this series we're beginning is the best series we've ever done. But I think this will be the most fun series we've ever had. I really do. I think this animal thing planet is going to be so rich.
1: <laughs> I'm not kidding. The stage there looks like Lion Country Safari. <laughs> nice And so enjoyable. If you
3: love animals, you'll love Animal Planet. But if you don't even like animals, the Bible is so fat with narrative about animals.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That'd be... PHAT. The Bible is just fat with narratives about animals. <sighs> uh, especially illustrations and metaphors featuring
3: animals. Yeah, there are those for sure. I think it's going to be a very vivid, a very creative series. It's going to stick in your mind and lodge in your heart in powerful ways. So I'm so glad you're here today.
1: Yeah, that's right. We're going to we're all going to experience some animalistic life change today there. Come back the next few weeks, it's going to be, I think, I think this is going to be a seven week series, longest one we've ever
3: had, because there's just so much good animal stuff in the Bible. So if you're guests, welcome, I'm David Hughes, one of the pastors, we're thrilled you're here. If you are a first time person, you're a newbie, you got great, great timing. You're here as we launch this new series. So whether you're here at Sawgrass Campus or you're watching the Sample Road, let's stop and celebrate Sample Road. What's up Sample Road, glad you're here. Or um, if you're watching online, glad you're with us as well. And I, I want to start talking about animals. And again, next week, next week, the animal, is, is kind of a big couple animals next week. One's cute, one's kind of big, could eat the preacher animal, right? You with me? So don't miss next week.
1: Don't miss. Ne- <laughs> oh, they're going to have a lion then, huh? Next week, next week. How much you want to bet he's going to try to make a connection between the lion and the lion of the tribe of Judah? Or how Jesus is a lion and, yeah, Never mind. Incredible! Not like they telegraph their punches or anything. But I want to start with a, a, a beautiful kind of animal today,
3: and I am an animal lover. We have pets. Any pet people in the house? Make noise if you're pet people. All right, that's cool. And by the way, if you're not in the pets, like my, my dad, my dad's like the nicest guy on the planet, but he doesn't like dogs. Uh, he got bit by a dog when he was young. He's he's, he's kind of dog phobic. And so even on the Saturday and Sunday night, we'll have like a non-dog section in two weeks. But on those evening services. <laughs> bring your dog to church night.
1: Oh, man. Uh,
3: uh, dog day weekend. That's in two weeks. Not next week. It's Mother's Day. But after that, you can bring your pooch to church. I mean, bring your, your dog to worship if your dog is a nice dog. If your dog plays well with others. You with me? If your dog doesn't tend to poop on the floor, bring your dog. You're welcome to bring your dog. But uh, Sunday mornings dog free. If you have allergies, come Sunday morning. So all uh, But today, today, the animals, some of my favorite animals, See, among our pets, we do have a dog. We have a one of the nicest dogs ever. We have an important to note. We haven't started in the Word of God. Australian Shepherd. His real name is Reverend Bob Diesel Dog. Uh, we call him Rev for short. Sure. Rev's a great dog. And then we have an African spurfoot tortoise that someone gave us. When he's like this big, and now he's like this. He's like the size of a half a basketball. And then third and finally, we have a beautiful red Eclectus parrot. Her name is Ruby. And I shouldn't play favorites, but Ruby is my favorite, hands down. Uh, she's a beautiful bird, very intelligent animal. The sad thing is she only likes me in the family now. She used to like everybody, but now she just likes me. And, uh, but I like her. So she's my, I think birds are cool. I've always thought birds were really cool and fascinating animals. And I'm not alone. Because in Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus says something. In this short verse, Jesus said, consider the birds. Read what Jesus, oh God.
1: I mean, you have got to be kidding me. I mean, what? (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. (laughs) It used to be when these guys would twist the Bible and rip it out of context, you know, we'd get a verse. You know, (laughs) now we've got three words. I mean, it's not even the full metaphor. So here we go, Matthew chapter six twenty six, which justifies this entire sermon. Jesus said, Consider the birds. Uh, uh,
3: uh. With me, consider the birds. Jesus said, Hey, hey, consider the birds. It's Sermon on the Mount, and as an illustration for God's protection, His love, and His provision. He said, think about the birds. Look at the birds. Consider the birds. And what he says is, you know, if God provides for birds, if God who loves birds provides and makes a way for birds, how much more is God going to provide for you? Because he loves you way, way more than he loves a bird.
1: You know, but Jesus said, consider the birds. I thought... Right, because he was basically saying, stop believing. He says, stop, stop not believing and believe. Trust in your, in your gracious and merciful and kind heavenly Father. Week one, next week he sent a big...
3: Big animal. This week, some beautiful animals. I want to stop today and consider the birds. Like here's a here's a bird I, I love. I love owls. Owls are just cool birds. Uh, I was with my kids uh, a little trip, uh, maybe a week or two ago, and we saw like on this lot. I guess I'm gonna bought this nice lot in Marco Island, and they wanted to build a house. But the the environmental people came and had like a huge section of the lot because they had burrowing owls there. And we watched the burrowing owls. Just owls are cool. Owls are very smart, beautiful animals. And uh, when you think of an owl, several things come to mind. Number one, they're great predators. A great many species of owls are nocturnals. They're great nighttime hunters. In fact, God has made the owl with such creative genius. They make almost no sound when they fly. He gave them very thick feathers. So as they swoop in on prey, they're very, very stealth. And uh, they have really good vision. But the remarkable thing about an owl is they have incredible hearing. And would you like to see an owl?
1: Okay, so we get three words from Matthew 6, consider the birds, and now we're talking about owls. By the way, just so you know, the whole answer all day long is, yes, David, we'd like to see the animal. All right, let's start again. We're, That's right. You guys are paying good money for these, uh, these exotic animals to be brought on stage. You, you know, so the answer better be yes. would like to see an owl. Yes, David, we'd
3: like to see the animal. All right, here we have, look, oh, this is John. And this is a beautiful barn owl, and her name is Athena. She's how old?
0: She is five months
3: old. But but she's fully grown.
0: Fully grown. Fully grown, fully feathered, three months, four months, mommy, (laughs) kicks her out of the nest.
3: There you go. And she literally is a night owl. Uh, She is a a, a nocturnal species. She's she's doing pretty well this morning. Uh, She danced during church last night, it was fun. But even the shape of her face, uh, as you see that kind of cool way her face has those two cones that is designed to bring sound animals that's gonna happen a lot over the next seven weeks that's good that's good that's just des-
1: yeah she just did her business on stage and bring sound to her ears correct
6: in, exactly it's like
0: a satellite dish basically something runs on the floor sound goes to her face and then
3: directly to her ear phenomenal okay well we're good to go ahead and take her off stage that's athena the owl the barn owl and a little souvenir
1: Little souvenirs all good. Just keep keep something in mind. If you uh, go old school when you're teaching the Bible, um you don't have to worry about animals leaving droppings on stage. Just you know, saying, you know, if, if that's if animal droppings aren't your thing, just go old school and teach the Bible, you know, from large sections of scripture in context, full counsel of the word of God. You don't have to worry about animal droppings. Animals all good. And by the way, I learned,
3: I learned last night, you guys will not be paying attention to me at all while I talk today. It's kind of fun. But the owl, traditionally, historically, has symbolized wisdom. You know, when we think of owls, we think intelligence, we think wisdom. Loudly say the word wisdom. Wisdom. There's several institutions of higher learning that their mascot are owls. Rice University in Texas, a great school, an owl. Florida Atlantic, right around the corner over here. F-A-U, they are the owls and uh al symbolized wisdom. You know the Bible values wisdom. Christian person read the book of Proverbs sometime and Proverbs has chapters celebrating wisdom. What is why don't
1: you teach it? You know, I mean you've got plenty of time there. You know, why don't you flip on over to the book of Proverbs? Maybe you can teach us a few chapters. Wisdom. It is
3: godly discernment. It is god-centered judgment decision-making. wisdom if it's
1: so important, I mean, why don't you just, you know, Whip out three, four chapters right now. I mean, at our small church, I mean, we cover at least three to four chapters of scripture every single week. That's just during our church service. It doesn't, that doesn't even count what we do in Sunday school. Is common sense, which is a misnomer because I found common
3: sense is not very common at all. But God wants a Christian person to live a smart life, to live a life with uh, uh, biblical brilliance. God wants you to be intelligent with your decision-making. So turn to the person next to you and say, I hope you have wisdom. Go ahead. I hope you have wisdom. You're probably very smart.
1: Well, if you want people to hope that their neighbor has wisdom, I mean, don't you think you might want to help them out there? You know, teach, you know, four or five chapters out of the book of Proverbs. It'd be great.
3: God wants you to be wise. And here's a great promise. In God's word, James chapter one, verse five, look at this promise God gives us to the Christian person. It says, If any of you
1: lacks So that person next to you is not a lot smart, here God makes him a now I should point something out here. The whole owl illustration actually he isn't pointing it out as a biblical metaphor. It's just a cultural metaphor that he's pointing us to a single verse. Out of context, James chapter one, verse five. ...that they lack wisdom, he
3: should ask of God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So God loves to dispense wisdom. Now, where do we find the ultimate source of wisdom?
1: God's Word. Like, I totally agree. Why don't you teach some of it, like a large section of it, right now? Al, as we hear God's Word, as we... I'd love to hear God's Word. Can you teach it for me? Why don't you, Pastor, why don't you teach it? The Bible tells you to preach the Word... You've given us 1.3, I see that's I have 0.3 verses so far. 1.3. Why did you teach us it? If it's so important. Listen carefully and apply God's word,
3: we live smart. That's why environments like this are so vital. That's why it's so important that you make it here on Sunday or Saturday night and you listen carefully as the word of God is taught to you. Man, the word of God is. Uh, it's not being taught so far. It is powerful. It will help sharpen the soul of who you are. It will refine you. Man, you get so much wisdom through the Word of God. So that's why you got to be here next week. It's not legalism, it's not earning brownie points with God if you show up. But when you come to church and you listen carefully to the Word of God, you invest in yourself.
1: Great. Yeah. Well, then teach it so that I can invest in myself. Open up the Bible and start teaching it, David. Got to listen. And then also, no, no, you got to teach it. See, in order for them to hear it and for them to listen, you've got to teach it. You see, that's how that works. They'll be hearing the word of God when you are teaching it. Plain and simple. So far, we are, well, roughly about 20% of the way into this mm, thing that's called a sermon. And, um, no, 1.3 verses. I mean, seriously, the church that, you know... I'm a member at, and I teach at. I mean, by this, I mean by the time before the pastor even gets to the pulpit, we've read three chapters from Scripture, Old Testament, Epistle, Gospel, and by by this point in the sermon, I mean our ears have been stuffed full of God's Word,
3: huh? this idea of wisdom go sometimes you have a, a big question a decisive uh, issue in life that's not dealt with in the bible sometimes you can make a big decision impactful decision and there's not a clear bible verse on that like a career decision now god um i'm really trying to decide do i leave the uh, you know corporate world strike out on my own god i have this opportunity for a job transfer in nebraska do i right there's not a bible verse on that you know, I'm dating, and there's two, you know, godly girls. God, do I date Thelma or Louise? There's not a verse on that. You with me? So I think sometimes the most important place to discover God's wisdom is when it's outside the Word of God. And so as you pray and seek the Lord and avail yourself to Christian advice and counsel, God will give you direction on these other issues. By the way, listen, it's is very important.
1: God's wisdom never violates God's Word. You're dealing with some is-, is it me, or does it sound like he's advocating for a second source of revelation? Somehow he's equating wisdom with, well, extra-biblical revelation. Mm, I hope that's not what he's doing.
3: It is addressed in the Bible. There's your answer. If you're dealing with some question in life, you know, some directional thing that is in the Bible, you don't need to go and... You know, I, I, Christians pray stupid prayers all the time. Christians pray prayers like, God, God, um, should I te- cheat on my taxes? God, should I cheat on my taxes? Because, like, everybody does it, and if I fudge on my taxes, God, a little bit, I could tithe more, God. What is your will? Really? <laughs> That's a real conversation? I need to ask that because the Bible says, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar. Amen? Now, honor authority. So God wants you to pay your taxes. Don't cheat on your taxes. Uh, here's one. God, should I move in with my girlfriend? It's not just about sex, God, although we will be having sex, God. But it's, it's you know, we love each other. We lo- I think she's the one. I think it's like he's tracking for marriage. So he wouldn't, you know, you don't buy a sports car without taking it for a test drive. God, is it your will? I shack up with my girlfriend. Don't
1: need to pray that prayer. I man. God deals with that in the book. It's a- yeah, right, he does. Can you read it for us? It would be really great if you'd preach it. I'd like to see you do that. The marriage bed be
3: undefiled. The Bible does not teach sex is a bad thing. It teaches sex is a blessed thing. It is so special and sacred, it's reserved exclusively for the covenant of marriage. So, no, it is not God's word. Right, you with me? Thank you, three people. I'll keep trying. <laughs> I'll just keep going. Until you're with me? Um, I really, I really step on your toes
1: now. God, the tie thing. T- Uh-oh, he's, I, I feel a Bible twist coming on. Percent God? Off the top, oh, look, God. Yeah, see, that's the thing. You got to keep in mind. There's a reason why these seeker-driven guys constantly twist the Bible teaching regarding tithing. Cause you know how much money it costs to deck your stage out to make it look like Lion Country Safari, and to you know to pay these special exotic animal handlers to bring their exotic animals in on stage. It costs a lot of money. I mean, this, this church by the glades, they put on a circus last year. I mean, do you know how expensive it is to put on a circus? I mean, so I mean, in order for them to pay the bills to keep the lights on to in order to basically constantly change the props on their stage, to bring in performers and things like that. They've got to have a ton of money. I mean, you, from, you know, stage dressers to, uh, you know, guys who run the lights, the soundboard, the uh, the equipment for videotaping. I mean, we're, we're talking millions and millions of dollars a year, okay? So you got salaries and props and all this kind of stuff. So they have to twist God's word and teach falsely regarding the tithe in order to keep the money coming in to keep the show going, okay. But based on what you're hearing so far, I mean, we are officially now at the uh, you know just a little past the twenty you know percent mark of the of all, through the sermon, one point three verses, one point three. Is this worth ten percent off the gross of what you earn every year? I mean, this guy's not doing his biblical duty. The scriptures command pastors to preach the word in season and out of season. He's not doing it. He's putting on an entertaining show. I mean, this is quite a spectacle to see. Uh, but he's not rightly handling God's word, nor is he really teaching it. I do nice things with my money.
3: I'm, I'm help, helping uh, uh, Gertrude, Aunt Gertrude with, with the nursing home, and I'm putting my kids in Christian school. That's expensive, God. All that should count against my tithe, right? That all comes up right, right? And,
1: and the Bible says bring the whole tithe to the storehouse of God. To the yeah, and that, this, the church is not the storehouse of God there, dude. Um, that's an Old Testament teaching regarding a tax on the people of Israel to provide for the Levites who didn't have an inheritance of the land. Yeah, totally out of context. Storehouse. I mean, the whole tithe comes to the Church
3: of Jesus Christ. You don't have to pray about that one. Now it's awkward, isn't it? Wisdom. I want to live my life with wisdom. Amen? The owl reminds us of wisdom. Here's another bird.
1: I like this bird. These birds are cool. Now we're switching birds. Okay. The buzzard. The buzzard. Oh, God bless the Please tell me the bloggers are not buzzards. Buzzard.
3: Love the buzzard. And, uh, and, oh, man, look how, how pretty that bird is. That's a lovely bird up there. Isn't that a beautiful, incredible, lovely, lovely lovely, lovely bird? Well, I, I have an example. That's a turkey vulture. Uh, I, I think, John, are you back there again, John? John might have another friend. You will see these fly in the skies of South Florida. I think they're pretty cool. That is Blackjack. And he is a black vulture, correct? American, and they're all the Florida skies. They're everywhere, man. They're incredible. Is that is that a neat bird? Wow, that's a neat bird. In fact,
1: thank you so much. Let's give it up for John and Blackjack. And maybe you're looking here and go. By the way, just looking at a bird does not equal reading a passage of scripture. Just saying. So if you exegete a bird, it's not the same as the Word of God. Birds are not. For lack of a better way of putting it, God breathed in the sense that they are profitable for teaching, correcting, and rebuking, and training in righteousness. Birds are not capable of equipping the man of God for every good work. God's word is, but not birds.
3: Ew, I don't know. That's that's. Look, I want you to rethink the buzzard. I want you to rethink the... I want you to say with me, buzzards are beautiful.
1: Oh, good. He's not going to liken bloggers to buzzards after saying that. Whew. Buzzards
3: are Beautiful. That's good. Buzzards are, are beautiful. In fact, I'll show you a beautiful buzzard. A tray. Trey. Trey. Trey, one of our handlers back here. Trey has an example of a buzzard. I'm telling you, this bird is a beautiful bird. Is Trey back there? We got Trey.
1: We yeah, come on. You paid good money for this buzzard. You, you better get your money's worth.
3: You don't have Trey.
1: Oh. Stay, uh, Trey. Entrance. Stage right. Working on it, working on it.
3: When you work with animals, you got to improvise. Got to be a little patient. Going to make it, Trey. Trey's working.
1: Bashful Uh buzzard.
3: We won't keep her out too long. Normally, she does really good, though. Hey, Trey. And this is a European. Buzzard. I don't want to get too close because she's a little freaked out.
0: She's about six years old.
3: Six years old. And if we get out here then get a good 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 camera shot, she's pretty. She is beautiful. A European buzzard, that is a beautiful bird. It has a little wing damage. That's why she's with Trey. She cannot survive in the wild. These animals are all used to being in front of people. They're used for educational purposes, especially in schools. Because when you see animals up close, you tend to appreciate the environment more. You want to protect animals more. So again, there's lots of good purposes here. Let's, let's give it up for our European buzzard and Trey. What's her name? Flash. Flash. Name is Flash. Good name. All right, we'll let them go backstage again. But that's a beautiful buzzard. And some buzzards are not just beautiful in form. They are beautiful in function. You know what buzzards and vultures do? They are scavengers. It's okay.
1: They just dropped the buzzard. Yeah, that when your illustration drops to the floor, and, hmm. they're old friends. They're old friends.
3: They are scavengers, and God created a whole category of animals called scavengers to do what? To deal with the mess. Scavengers deal with the mess. You notice animals are messy. Life is messy sometimes. And so God in all the various ecosystems in the in the oceans and on land, there's all these animals that scavenge. What do they do? They deal with decaying animals. Other animals die or they're killed, they clean up the mess. And that's what like a turkey vulture or a black vulture does. And that's an important thing in life because sometimes life gets messy. Now some of your lives are messy and they shouldn't be messy, it's unnecessary mess. You have messy, dysfunctional relationships or messy finances because you're, bi- you're violating what God says to do. So I need a financial buzzard to come in and clean things up. Okay, yeah. word, and you know, We want to help you straighten up and clean out your mess. We don't judge messy people here. In fact, we love messy people. Sometimes, though, mess is bad. Sometimes mess is unnecessary because it's the product of laziness or sloppiness
1: or foolishness. But the- hmm. do you, What do you think it is? Do you think it's laziness, sloppiness, or foolishness? That uh, we're now, you know, literally we're getting close to, you know, the 40% mark here in this sermon. And um, we're not hearing the Word of God. Which would you attribute that to? Also a positive kind of mess.
3: And scavengers, like buzzards, remind us to deal with the mess. Sometimes as you're moving forward in life, as you're growing, making progress in life, there's the byproduct of some residue, there's a little mess that you make. We built this building here on this campus. It was messy for a while. I went to my gym this past week. They're renovating. Some people complaining, like, it's messy here. I get my equipment. Guess what? They're making progress in life. As you grow and advance and make progress, occasionally there's the residue of mess. That's not a bad mess. That's a good mess. In fact,
1: God will bless that mess. You You Got any Bible passages that say that? I'd like to see a few me show you a verse in Proverbs. This is a A verse, a single solitary verse. So after this, we will be up to 2.3 verses. verse, got to check it out carefully. It says in Proverbs
3: 14, verse 4, looks confusing, but stay with me. It says where no oxen are, the manger is clean, but much revenue comes by the strength of the Ox. Okay, Dave, what is this weird ox-cow verse about? Simply, here's, here's what it says. If you want milk, you get manure. Are you with me? Okay. I mean, you've got a cow. Man, a cow's great. Ox, man, you protein, you know, beef, milk. But they're messy animals. Most great things in life come with the residue of mess. My kids. My kids are awesome. My kids are cute. My kids are great. They're messy. They can blow up my house in 15 seconds. But praise God... I've been blessed with healthy kids with lots of energy. All right? So, mess can be a good thing. And thank you to you here who have the ministry of dealing with mess.
1: So what did that have to do with the buzzard again? I thought you said the Bible was chock full of bird illustrations and metaphors. People, man, you're wearing bright orange because you work in the. That was an ox metaphor,
3: you know? Parking lots, our parking lots would be a mess without you, especially last week when it rained cats, dogs, and other animals from the Wild Kingdom, man. It was incredible. Yeah. So, parking team, give it up for the parking team heroes that organize the mess. We have nice people that deal with the facility if it gets messy, if you spill your coffee or something. Uh, we got nice people in kid stuff ministry because your kids are cute, but your kids are messy. And part of doing ministry to your kids is they deal with the mess. Right, no one has the spiritual gift of changing diapers. But if you have the spiritual gift of loving two-year-olds, you deal with the mess. Amen? Jesus said, consider the birds. We can learn
1: so much from the birds. Consider the birds. Stay with me. Consider the birds. Yeah, he didn't. <laughs> he wasn't to go out and exegete buzzards and vultures and owls. That wasn't what he was telling us to do. Consider the birds. Next few weeks, man, we're going to let the animal kingdom help us as kingdom people to understand kingdom principles. Let's pray together, then we'll worship some more. Father God. Okay, now, he's going to pray right here. And as soon as he's done praying, he's go, <laughs> they're going to launch into the dumb and dumber movie clip. No kidding. So it's like, in Jesus' name, then dumb and dumber. I, the timing could not be worse. I thank you for the truth of your word. I'm so excited. I think the next week... Yeah. Why are you thanking him for the truth of his word if you're not preaching it? I mean, if you really appreciate the truth of God's word, don't you think you'd be working your way through the whole thing, you know? Here are going to just be epic and fun and very, very visual uh, our young
3: people will learn. No one will come to church and forget what church is about. Parents will have teaching opportunity with their kids as they drive home. But guess what? It's not just for the... What are they supposed to teach them? Yeah, that sermon was for the birds. Kids, is for us big kids too. Jesus,
1: you are the master of the parable. You would leverage visual things. Yeah, when Jesus told parables, it's so that people wouldn't understand them. That's what he said. Sometimes animals. To help us understand spiritual and visible things. So, God,
3: help us to be wise, discerning. Help us to deal with the mess, to recognize even positive things produces the byproduct and residue of a little fallout. Help us charge ahead as we
1: grow and continue to accomplish great things in Jesus' hey. name. Yeah, in Jesus' name, now, the hey, by the way, was from the movie Dumb and Dumber. I kid you not. We, we transition. In Jesus' name, now here comes the Dumb and Dumber clip. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world?
2: (laughs) Guys! 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 Fellas,
6: you think we could listen to the radio or something?
3: Radio? (laughs) Who needs a radio? Ready, Harry?
1: (laughs) Mark! Yeah! Ing! Yeah! Bird! Yeah! 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 Mockingbird, don't everybody have you heard? Have you heard? She's
4: gonna buy, she's gonna me, buy a me a Mockingbird. And if that Mockingbird don't sing, she's gonna buy, she's gonna me, buy me a diamond ring. And if that diamond ring don't send... Hey Lloyd,
3: look, look! There's some people want to ride too! Pick them up!
1: And now we've switched to the Animal Planet uh, Sermon Series promo video. What you can't see is that there's various assorted footage of lions and... Caribou and you know the animals in motion. You know some you know, lions chasing down small little animals and you know kangaroos fighting, zebras running from lions, wolves chasing, and there's a vulture, hyenas, and giraffe, buffalo.
3: So what's up, Church by the Glades? I'm telling you, it's going to be a fun series. So much we can do with the motif of animals. So much in the Word of God about animals.
1: Yeah, so far you've fallen flat on your face. I mean,
3: 2.3 verses. So grab a bunch of these on the way out, because it's easy. I mean, animal lovers will be intrigued. Uh, People who maybe shot you down for a church invite before who are like animal crazy people. Well, especially dog crazy people.
1: Well, (laughs) You invite your pagan friends and neighbors, and they leave that Church by the Glades Animal Planet sermon, they'll still be pagans. And we'll
3: come in two weeks So invite someone here. and Again, if you're here for the first time, man, we're thrilled you're with us. And let's continue the conversation about animals. In fact, I want you to turn to an amazing passage in God's Word. Turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Say it with me loudly, Isaiah
1: chapter Forty. Oh, come on, bring it. Isaiah chapter. Here comes an eagle. I, you just tell it's going to happen. I, I'm not going to offer the full-blown in-context critique that I did last week for Ed Young. So, if you if you need help understanding this, just read it in context. I did it on a recent edition of Fighting for the Faith, the Ed Young sermon series that you know where he was talking about this. I'm going to show you an amazing promise, and I, I want to just look at one additional kind of
3: bird. Uh, I love probably my favorite kind of bird. I, I love my parrot. Owls are very cool. Buzzards are beautiful. But birds of prey. Birds of prey are some of the remarkable animals the Creator ever fashioned. Uh, birds of prey. The Bible talks about uh, f- uh, f-
1: uh, hawks, falcons. The Bible talks about eagles quite a bit. And uh, bird- Yeah, you know, why don't you take us to all those hawk and falcon passages? I'd like to see what the Bible has to say about that. Your job, Pastor, is to preach the Word. So do you think it could take some time and show us those passages, please? Prey can attain very high altitudes as they fly. Uh, birds of
3: prey uh, are some of the fastest animals. Actually, they are the fastest animals on the planet. The fastest animal is not a cheetah. It's not a wahoo or mako shark as they swim. Is certain kinds of falcons as they dive attacking their prey can achieve speeds of excess over 120 miles an hour. Birds of prey are amazing animals. Let me show you one example of a bird of prey. I think uh, John is back there. Wait till you see this girl. She is so pretty. This is a John, a red tail hawk, correct? There we
0: go. The most common raptor in North America.
3: I'll get my microphone, so just don't let her eat me. Here we go. Don't worry.
0: We haven't lost anybody in a couple of weeks, so we're doing good. <laughs> anyway, yeah, this is the most common raptor in all of North America. She's found in every state in the United States.
3: Very, very cool. And here's the crazy thing about this, this bird. That's, that's a pretty big bird. And uh, before the service last night, I was asking John, I thought, wow, I wonder what it weighs. Because I was trying to ballpark. I figured maybe I was judging against a bonefish, you know, 8 pounds, 10 pounds, uh, big bass. And she said she only weighs what? Two and a half pounds. Isn't that incredible? That God made this, this big, beautiful animal so light that it could fly. The bones are actually hollow. And so it's a beautiful animal, and I think she's going to stay here out here with us. Correct? Right over here. All right. We're going to try to keep her out here to get his animals so you never know what's going to happen. And, again, I found that teaching so far this weekend is like when you talk to your kid and they have their cell phone, they're kind of like halfway paying attention to you, and that's okay. So that's good. Hey, we're in Isaiah chapter 40. And there's so many facets of a bird of prey, like a hawk, a falcon, or an eagle we could focus on. But I want to talk about the
1: vision. When God created... Uh, No, same bad point. Eagle. Eagles have such
3: amazing powers of vision that God gave the eagle five times more visual cells per square millimeter of eye tissue than he gave a human being. So meaning this, I might have a much bigger eye than an eagle, but an eagle can see way bigger than me. Uh, some scientists think that eagles can see a field mouse in six inches of grass at 600 feet. Run another place that they could see a, a trout, like a, an 18-inch trout, jump out of the water five miles away. Eagles and falcons, hawks have incredible vision. When I say three, loudly say the word vision. One, two, three. Vision. See,
1: God wants you to have remarkable vision. Really? You got all that because an eagle has great vision. Oh,
3: boy. Not your eyesight. God could care less if you're 20-20 or not, whether you wear contacts or bifocals. Spiritual vision. God has, in fact, a vision for your life. God has Really? Oh, wow. A, a vision. God has a purpose. God has a divine dream. God has a supernatural script for your life. He has this plan for your life, this vision. And I think it's vital that God's people understand his vision. You see, I believe with all my heart, God has a vision for this church. Mm, I'm glad
1: you believe that. Um, can you show me that from the Bible, please? God has this dream for our church.
3: I believe God's vision for this church is to be an agent of impact in our generation.
1: Mm, so that's the supposed vision that you're casting and recasting here. This is this little hook back into the vision, this is part of casting vision. you got to continually recast it. For great, great good in this community and in the world, I believe... Actually, the job of the church is to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name and make disciples of all nations. Do you think that the 2.3 verses that you've cited so far qualify as meeting the minimum requirement to really creating good, mature, in-depth, doctrinally discernment, biblically literate disciples of Jesus Christ? With all my heart,
3: God has a vision for Church by the Glades, but I also believe God has a vision for you. God has a remarkable vision for your life in discovering, listen Christian person, discovering and pursuing God's vision is vital. You stay in Isaiah chapter, and I'll show you something the Bible says, look at this promise in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 18, yeah, it's 29, verse 18, the King James, it says, where there is no vision, one more time, where there is no vision the people perish
1: yeah out of context i I have to tackle this one by the way proverbs 29 we've talked about this on other editions of fighting for the faith but i think it's important in this context to take a look at it chapter 29 of proverbs verse 18 from the english standard version he was quoting from the kjv on purpose one of the things i've noticed about this sermon by david hughes he's doing the rick warren technique he quoted from the he's quoted literally from the NASB from the uh, New King James and the King James so he's quoting from multiple quote translations at this point why because he wants to make his point and not let the bible make its point okay proverbs 29 verse 18 does not say that you know that where there is no vision for your life you know some god ordained vision or purpose that god has for you then people perish when you read it in its fuller context in a good translation it makes perfect sense proverbs 29:18 where there is no prophetic vision the people cast off restraint but blessed is he who keeps the law the torah where do we find prophetic vision answer in the scriptures in the torah the prophets the writings from the uh, from the gospels the uh, the book of acts the epistles that's where we're to look for prophetic vision, not internally, uh, you know, some direct vision from God. That's not what this verse is saying. And it's significant to note that he's he's ripped this out of context and only quoted half the verse. So now we are up to official count, 2.8 verses of Scripture, and we are at the halfway point in the sermon. He's not doing what Jesus told him to do, make disciples of all nations. How are you supposed to be a mature Christian according to the biblical definition of maturity so that you're not tossed to and fro by every wind of strange doctrine if your, quote, pastor isn't doing his job in preaching the Word? 25 minutes of this, and we have we have barely even i mean seriously the bible's got an honorable mention we've learned more about birds than we've learned about the bible it is
3: such a vital commodity if you don't have it it's like spiritually you waste away your life is not lived full of purpose
1: and power it's you're not on point it is so vital that you find and figure out god's vision yeah but you're twisting proverbs 29 18 that's not saying what you're trying to make it say if you're here and you're a christian person you're saved that means you're going to heaven,
3: uh, you've been forgiven. If you ask Jesus Christ in your heart, whether you did it last week or a decade ago, man, you'll spend forever with God, the Heavenly Father, in eternity. But what about these years on
1: earth? God has a vision for you as you live these next years. And th- now, it's important to note, Proverbs 29:18 does not say God has a specific vision for you. It doesn't say that. ...on earth. And I find a lot of Christians that know
3: salvation, but they know nothing about God's vision. Yeah, because the Bible doesn't teach it the way you're teaching it. And God cares so much about you. He's given his cosmic intelligence in describing scripting this vision for your life. And it's so important you find it. So how can I tell if a Christian person is walking in God's vision or not? Here's one way. Don't answer out
1: loud. Are you tired? Don't answer out loud. Are you tired? I don't mean occasionally tired. Where does the Bible ask this question? I can tell you're not living in God's vision if you're tired occasionally
3: tired you can be like walking in the sweet spot of God's success You can be all about God's vision for your life and still have those seasons Where you're just really busy or hard-pressed or challenged and you're a little tired. I mean are you, are you chronically tired? Are you always tired? Are you always just you know you're just fatigued all the time You just kind of limp through life because you're tired all the time and yet you're a Christian person if you are There's a there's a problem. There, there's a problem. You see it used to be back in the day You would ask someone that kind of greeting question. How are you doing today? And the typical response was to how are you doing today was fine. And you, when's the last time you've heard that one? I mean, it seems like in our culture today, when you say, hey, how's it going? Or how are you doing? People go like, oh, man, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. I'm okay. I'm okay. But uh, I'm busy. I got so much. And if they actually told the truth, they would say, I'm so worn out. I'm so tired, man. My kids are wearing me out. My wife is wearing me out. My job wearing me out. My finances wearing me. I'm tired and you're tired. If you're a Christian person and you're chronically fatigued or frustrated, my guess is, listen, this is important, you have not aligned my guess. The Bible doesn't teach this. It's just his best guess. Your talent, your energy, and your time with God's vision for your life. You're chasing hard these, these lesser things. You're, you're all about kind of maybe your dream. You're all about your plan. These, these lesser things that God has this huge vision. Because listen, here's the idea. When you get a hold of God's vision. There's a divine dynamic to your life. God begins to lift you up. God begins to energize you. God begins to resource you in ways. God provides a divine momentum to your life. And what happens is when I'm walking in God's vision for my life, when I'm pursuing God's dream for my life, this energize, this this catalyst, it it will take me higher, farther, and faster than I ever dreamt I could go. That's why vision is so important. Are you tired? Isaiah 40 is written to tired people. Israel, a bunch of people in Israel, man, hard-pressed, all kinds of trials, man, they're tired, they're worn out. Isaiah says, man, are your young men tired? Are your old men weary? Are, are you tired? Here's what God will do for tired people. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29. Look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29. If you got it, say, I got it. I got it. All right, here's what it says. Look at the screen. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. I mean, this is a promise of God. I, I want to give strength. Yeah, look at it in context,
1: because um, the people of Israel had experienced God's judgment for their idolatry. If you're weak, if you're frustrated, if you're hurting, if you're limping, if you're... And notice he's reading it all out of context. This isn't biblical teaching. A, a verse out of context is a pretext. So he's ripping all these verses out of context, stringing them together as if they were all meant to hang together in one coherent thought, and they're not. They're not even teaching on the same thing. And
3: I, if you're tired, I want to energize you. I energize you by way of, of latching onto my vision. God has a vision for your life. So where do you find God's
1: vision for your life? How- by the way, that was eisegesis. That's reading into the text. Exegeting, you know, the word ek means, to, it means out, to read out of the text. Eisegesis comes from the Greek word "ice" to read into the text. N- Isaiah 40, 29 doesn't say God wants to give you his vision, so that you're not tired, okay? Let me put this back in just a little bit of context, okay? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 sets the context, okay? Actually, it goes back to chapter 39, but God says, "'Comfort, comfort my people,' says your God. "'Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, and cry to her that her warfare is ended, "'that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand "'double for all of her sins.'" So the idea here, in when you look at the fuller context, is not that God's calling Israel to embrace his specific and unique vision for their life because they're tired and worn out because they're trying things their way. No, he's judging them for, for their idolatry and turning from God and worshiping false gods. And God judged them, gave them double for their iniquity, and now he's saying, speak tenderly. This is the gospel spoken to those whom God has crushed and punished so that they would repent and be forgiven, okay? So by the time we get to verse 29, a lot has been going on here, and it says that God, the Lord, gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength, right? That's what's going on here. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall uh, fall and be exhausted, but they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall man up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not be faint. Okay, what does it mean to wait for the Lord, to wait upon the Lord? It means to have faith and trust in Him for the forgiveness of your iniquities. That's what the context is saying here. Discover it because
3: it's, it's unique. It's not a one-size-fits-all kind of thing. God customizes his vision or his script or his dream for every individual. His dream for me, different than his dream for
1: you. But you find God's dream. This is He's not engaging in biblical teaching. This is really an abomination. This is almost Joel Osteen-like. It's a powerful thing. So where do you find it? Here is the
3: main verse. It's Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. And this, this verse, if you're smart, will knock you out. This is such a powerful verse. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Here's part A, if you will, on the screen. But those who... One more time. But those who... Excellent. Now, if you have your Bible open, it might say those who wait upon the Lord. Or it might say those who trust in the Lord. All those translations are accurate. The Hebrew word is a very diverse word. It means to hope. It means to trust. It means to wait on God expecting great things. You trust in God. Listen, this is not a big surprise, but God's vision comes from God. Now, if you get a hold of God's vision, but
1: those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. He keeps inserting vision into this passage, and it's not there. Look it up in context. You will see nothing mentioned about vision here.
3: So if you're tired or fatigued or worn out with life or weary with life or just kind of all the time, you're chronically, God wants to renew your strength. The Hebrew word there for renew means to actually exchange his strength for your strength. But you got to trust in the Lord. God's vision comes from God. No surprise there.
1: God's vision comes from God. But here's the silly thing. I, so it's not trusting in the Lord for his vision. It's trusting in the Lord for forgiveness from your iniquities. Lots of Christians, they're not all
3: about discovering pursuing and finding God's vision, they spend a lot of time trying to convince God they have the best vision for their life.
1: Good night.
3: All kinds of Christians, like, God, I got this plan for my life. I have this dream for my life, God. You know, I I have this script for my life, God. I've kind of written out this script. Here, God, I I plan on graduating maybe a semester early. That's part of my plan, God.
1: By the way, we're up to like 3.5. Well, actually, I got to be careful here. We were up to 2.8 now, that was another half a verse, so what is it, 3.3? We're up to 3.3 verses in 28 minutes of preaching.
3: I want to be married, God, by age 25, surely by age 30, God. I want to get a really good job. I want to be not filthy rich, but very, very comfortable. would like to have my own home in that nice
1: neighborhood, drive an SUV, get a second home and a boat. It's important to note that of the 3.3 verses read in this, quote, sermon, none of them were in context. In the Keys... And he's eisegeting and twisting now. Uh, I know it means I'm,
3: I'm away from church a lot of weekends, but I watch online if I can. Right? And then I'm going to retire at age 50 because age 50 is really, really old. So, God, here's my plan for my life. If you will just kind of sign off, God, if you'll initial here and initial here and initial here and sign there. And so, God, I'm going to write the script, but I'm giving you kind of script approval. You're laughing, but that's what you, you do. A lot, a lot of people decide this has nothing to do with Isaiah 40. Moments, a career choice, a relationship choice. Now, I'm thinking this is a time of year when, when seniors are graduating, getting ready to go off to college, and mom and dad won't be around to make you go to church. And you're thinking, what's my plan? What will I major in, choosing my career? Wow, I, this, guess what? That's when God got a hold of me. I got saved. I gave my heart to Jesus as a punk nine-year-old. I understood John 3, 16. I gave my heart to Christ. I got saved. I got baptized. But I really surrendered my life in totality at to age 19, early college. Hmm, plagianism. I thought, man, I'm making huge decisions. I got to choose a major. I'm choosing my career. <laughs> I might meet my spouse. Now I was no dummy, but I thought I need all the outside help I can get, all the wisdom I can get, and start thinking, who has a better plan for David's life, David or God? Who has a better vision for Because I have my dreams, so and who has better dreams, me or God? So if you're in any society, place, do I retire early? Do I remarry?
1: Do I- this isn't biblical teaching. Get a divorce, right? Do I invest in that? You better look to God because God has a better. If you're. Listen, if you were following God's dream for the role of a pastor, you'd be preaching the word because God's word tells you to do that. But you're not doing it. You're that senior and you're graduating. So don't sit here and tell me how you embrace God's dream for your life. You sit in the office of pastor. Your job is to preach the word, the full counsel of the word of God. You're not doing your job. So you're not embracing God's dream. You're rejecting it and, sub- and basically substituting your own. You're all accomplished and smart. You got this plan Woohoo for your life. You ever look at God?
3: Because God's vision for your life is bigger and better. His dream will take you higher. Can I, can I just make the case, Kiss? you don't want to go with God's plan, you're a Christian, here's why you should go with God's plan. You're probably very, very smart. You're probably smarter than me. I'm no dummy, but you're smarter than me. You probably have an IQ 155. Remember the smartest person out of six thousand people that will come to church this weekend on this campus. Six, right? You're the smartest, smartest one. You hundred, wow, high IQ. Guess what? God's smarter than you are. I don't mean to offend you, but it's kind of obvious that the cosmic genius. Wow,
1: there's a deep. thing Yeah, no kidding. Really, I had no idea. This is smarter than you. I mean, you have that high. I, you know, listen. You know, David, if you really believe this, you'd stop teaching your wisdom and teaching God's from his word in context. IQ, you're the smart, you're the Einstein of this group. But what's God's IQ? God's IQ would
3: be like, I don't know, really big. God's IQ would look like this or something. God's IQ would be, you know, bam. It's this. he's a lot smarter than you. I mean, think about it. God is omniscient. It means there's no knowledge that God does not possess. It's impossible for God to be surprised because he knows the future with perfect clarity. It's impossible for God to learn because he's the author and creator of all knowledge.
1: Well, it's good to know that you're not a process theologian. That's fine. But again, your job is to preach the word. We are 31, almost 32 minutes into this. When are you going to get around to rightly handling and teaching God's word in context? If you really believe God is smarter than you and that the Bible is so important, you want people to hear God's word, don't you think you ought to be teaching it? God never needs to read a textbook.
3: God never has to Google anything. God's like an eagle. God made the eagle eye. The eagle can see at the same time, side to side and straight ahead. God has perfect perception of your present reality. He also sees with great clarity your future. God is smarter than you. He's smarter than me. That's why I need to say, okay, how about God's plan? Now, God being smart doesn't make his plan better. But here's what puts it over the top. He's not just smart. He loves you. He loves you so much. In fact, God loves you more than you love yourself. And I hope you have a healthy self-love. I don't mean you're like self-absorbed, leave lip prints on your mirror, but I hope you recognize when God made you, God makes no junk. He made you uniquely and gifted with potential and power. But God loves you so much, he gave his son for you. So you put these two together, that God's smarter than you are, and he loves you more than you love yourself. Guess what? God has a better vision for your life.
1: Yeah, notice the gospel nugget kind of... Yeah, you know, God loves you and sent his son to die for you. No context there for understanding the, God, the cross at all. So why not spend some time on your knees in the word of
3: God, seeking God's vision? Why don't you get hungry for God's vision? Why don't you substitute God's great epic source? You
1: haven't demonstrated that God wants to give me a vision using God's word clearly. You've just rattled off a whole bunch of opinions and the teachings of men, not God, and ripped God's word out of context. I'm not about to get on my knees going, oh, God, I need to have your vision for my life. I have God's word, and his word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, and it's sufficient.
3: Vision for the little plans, earthbound dreams you've been chasing because they're wearing you out. They're frustrating you. They're making your life highly un. Comfortable. Say the word uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. Like, don't got enough money. Don't have enough time. Don't have enough margin. Man, People don't understand me. They don't. I mean, people don't support me. I'm uncomfortable and I'm tired. Man, maybe it's because you're off point. You're not living for God's vision. God has his vision for your life. So back to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. I'm telling you, this verse will rock you. This verse will punch you in the face with truth. This verse is amazing. So it says, but those who hope in the Lord. By the way, go and read the verses before. It says, because young people get tired. And old men get worn out, right? But those who hope in the Lord or trust in the Lord or wait expectantly in the Lord because the Lord's place is where you find the Lord's vision will renew their strength. Get ready. I love this word. This word is awesome. This next word is so good. It's found in the NIV this way. They will... Well, oh, that was a really good reading. That's good reading. Let's do it one more time, even bigger and louder. All right, right? Renew their strength. They will... One more time. They will... Personalize. God wants me to... Here's what the eagle is so helpful. Um, like all birds fly, right? Like almost. I mean, ostriches don't fly. Penguins don't fly. But almost all birds fly. But some birds fly better than others. Some birds fly, but it's not real pretty when they fly. Birds of prey, man, they, they, they're incredible when they fly. But, but other birds fly. Some some birds, uh, how do they fly? Here's what they fly. They fly by expending all kinds of energy, generating lift and forward momentum by frantically flapping their wings. I mean, some birds are just like, you... don't hit your neighbor, but do that with me. Go on, do, 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 flap, flap. Go on, go, flap, do it, do it, flap, flap, go on, flap, do it, flap, 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 right, right, right that's, that's good. Maybe you want to hit your neighbor. Go ahead, whack him, that's good. Um, all right, they, they do that. Some birds, and some birds, you know, I mean, they do okay like that. Uh, that's, 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 I'm not sure, It's not how eagles fly, but that's, that's, that's how most birds fly. And some, some birds fly ugly. Like, ever watch, like, a waterfowl, like a coot try to fly? They're not very graceful. So ever watch, like, a quail? They're a great sporting bird, but they, they don't fly well, a chicken. A chicken should be embarrassed to fly, right? And they do fly. To their credit, they do fly. But have you ever watched a chicken get startled and try to fly? They don't go very far. They don't go very high, and it's just ugly, man. They, they, they're crazy energy, man. They're going crazy. They're flapping their wings, making all kinds of noise, squawking feathers. or flying. You're like, oh, God. And no one ever to compliment you, to inspire you says, I hope someday you fly like a chicken, right? No one ever does that. God's word doesn't say, though, you know, if you look to the Lord and you find his vision, you know, you will mount up with wings like chickens. No one's studying that verse. But God chooses a bird of prey. You know, it's the language selected by the Holy Spirit there, the careful language. And let me put that verse back
1: up. Yeah, don't sit here and say the careful language given by the Holy Spirit because you've taken the passage out of context. And as a result of it, you're not teaching it accurately. Or correctly, you're twisting it, and you're inserting a teaching in there that is not in there. If you were to really, truly be dedicated to carefully paying attention to the language, then you would have paid attention to the context and not done what you did.
3: Yep, that verse one more time. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength, they will what? Soar. To an eagle flies. Yes, initially to overcome inertia and gravity, they do flap their wings. But ever watch an eagle? As they attain those incredible altitudes, they fly higher than other birds. Eagles soar. When eagles fly, it, it, looks, it looks like this. They glide beautifully. Again, they flap their wings some initially, but then they just, they just fly. Here it is. This is the big, if you're smart, if you have that high IQ, you're going to be with me. Here's the big idea for the day. Here's the cool thing about the vision of God. When you follow the vision of God, when you pursue the vision of God, you're like an eagle when it soars. An eagle, when it soars, kind of glides. It harnesses up currents of air. It rides upon, it leverages um, thermal updraft in the atmosphere. It's a very smart and easy way to fly. It
1: expends very little. Now we're exegeting how the eagle flies. We're not exegeting God's word. Again, 3.3 verses out of context, eisegesis and total twisting of Isaiah 40.
3: It can spend hour upon hour in the heights of the heavens. Here's what an eagle does. It takes advantage, it harnesses a force greater than and outside of itself. And it does not merely fly, an eagle soars. And God has called you not merely to fly, but to soar. To harness a divine power bigger than and outside of yourself. When you harness the vision of God... He brings these things to your life. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, this is not what Isaiah 40 teaches at all about harnessing the vision of God. This is not a biblical teaching.
3: He brings divine momentum. He brings his own resources, inspiration, challenge. It's catalytic. You are the person riding a divine force that will take you higher, further, and farther than you ever dreamt you can go. Your dreams are small, sedentary, pedestrian, and... (laughs) Wow
1: narcissism now
3: man god wants you to soar on his vision to the highest heavens he
1: didn't say fly like a chicken he said i want you to cue sappy music this is for emotional manipulation like an eagle
3: eagles are smart man
1: so now he wants to get you to make the decision to soar like an eagle by embracing god's unique vision for your life but he hasn't taught this from god's word He's only created the impression that this is a biblical teaching, and it's not.
3: Now put your arms out and glide a little bit, man. Just glide. You got, my God want you to glide. Ever meet a Christian? Ever meet a Christian? They just, it just, this Christian person may have been saved for a long time. Maybe it's a senior adult, and they're just really godly. They know the word of God. And they're just going kind to of do life like this. They, they just kind of, they have a flow. They have a divine rhythm to their life. They have a, they're centered. They have this peace. And they've got their issues and problems and challenges. They just don't wear them out. They walk in the joy of the Lord. That is someone who's found God's purpose. That's someone who's chasing God's vision. You chase God's vision, yet sometimes you've got to flap your wings, but other times you just soar on the power of the Holy Spirit in your life as he takes you higher. You're all tired. God says, cut that out. Cause you're no, he doesn't. you basically chasing. You're that chicken. You're chasing all these. Lo- I need more money. I need more promotions. I need more influence. got to be more popular. Stop it.
1: Stop twisting God's word and speaking for God things that he hasn't spoken. You're running from God's will. God says something. So are you. This is the epitome of it. His word with clarity, you're afraid of that. You're running. You're running from it. You're not teaching it with clarity. That. Oh, by the way, fear. Fear.
3: Isn't it funny when you begin, to, I'm going to make a prediction here, when you begin to sense God's uh, vision for your life, whatever that next decision is for your life, because God impacts his vision one decision at a time. Got a Bible passage that says that in context. It'll give you a direction for your future, but the details come one decision at a time. So maybe your decision is to give your heart to Jesus today. God only gives his vision to his kids, God only blesses his children, those who've chosen Jesus by faith. Yeah, with-
1: choose Jesus so that God will give you the vision for the next decision. Wow. Not repentance and the forgiveness of sins. It's so that you can get that first installment on god's vision for your life
3: vision so that's your first decision maybe it's baptism for you maybe it's engaging in the church whatever it is but whatever it is maybe getting unselfish and and finding a ministry volunteering if god
1: made you so talented you're spending all your time ta- yeah get unselfish so that you can give us free labor in order to put on the show every week time on yourself Trying to build your
3: little kingdom, trying to facilitate your little dream. And God, I don't find satisfaction as a CPA. Why is it? I don't feel the sense of. Guess what? That's, that's a noble profession. But God made you for more. God made you to be a person of epic and eternal impact in His kingdom.
1: Really? Again, do you have a passage for that? Maybe find some way to have. Man, talk about scratching, itching ears. I mean, this is just, you know, ego boosting like you wouldn't believe.
3: Passion, bless, witness to ministry of people in Jesus' name. That's why God that's when you start to soar. That's when God begins to show up. I mean it shows up things like this. Man, I'm sharing my faith with this person. I'm saying things. I'm saying that I was good. I was saying things. I
1: Bible verses came out. I didn't even know I knew that Bible verse. What, what, God, you're soaring? You with me? Yeah, I didn't know I had knew that Bible verse because Pastor sure didn't teach it. I made some financial decisions. I wasn't smart enough to know that. I know the economy was going to turn, and just God gave me
3: this, this like, wisdom, and I, I pulled the trigger at the right time. Man, I just, you're soaring. But the enemy is so concerned, you'll discover God's vision. Listen, this is very important. He will attach a fear to the very thing God calls you to do. I mentioned this on Easter. You kind of sense the voice of God, the vision of God, then you hear a second voice right away. That voice will try to talk you down from the very thing God wants you to do. That second voice comes to play right away, and that's always a voice of fear. It's a voice voice of inadequacy. God, I'm not sufficient. God, I'm not experienced enough. Or is that voice, you can't trust God. God's a cosmic killjoy. As soon as you say yes to God, God's going to take away all your fun, all your joy, right? That's not the attitude of a good father. But that fear, that fear. So what you deal with the whole time as you're finding God's vision for your life is, is commingled excitement, I mean, this desire deep within you, it's almost spiritually intuitive that you want to do this thing for God. At the same time, you'll be a little afraid. You'll be phobic. Man, I don't know if I can do that. That's, that's scary. That's, that's risky. I, and David mentioned tithing. I, man, I, I need 110- 110. Okay, I want to point something out here.
1: <clears throat> we are r- rapidly drawing to the close of the sermon. Total verses, 3.3. 3. Okay? There are 31,000... 102 verses, 31,102 verses in scripture. Okay, if he were to average 3.3 verses per sermon, he would complete, you know, completely teach 171 verses in the course of one year. In other words, at this rate, it will take him 181 years to teach all of scripture. Do you think he's preaching the word? Of my income, not ninety percent of my
3: income, but why I trust God that ninety percent with His blessing will go further than hundred percent without His blessing. Fear, I mean, fear, man. So, so the enemy will try to leverage phobia and fear to keep you from taking that step, making that next God decision, man. You're you're facing that fear right now. It sounds like your voice, but it's His voice. You know, what eagles learn to fly. They're not born with the ability to fly. I think they are born with a deep down God given. Instinctual desire to fly. But little eaglets, man, they can't fly. They got little tiny wings. They don't have feathers, right? Mom and Dad provide for them. But you know, they watch their parents. They look look very unlike their parents when they're when they're young, but they watch their parents flying back and forth to this nest high in the air, high in a tree. They 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 see that time and time again. And as that that little bird matures into a larger bird, as flight feathers take the place of downy feathers. That that bird will start to test its wings. That, that bird will start to sense that desire that God gave it to fly. At the same time, when it sees its parents flying, it begins to sense that it's made for flying. It also has, at the same time, a great fear of falling. Did you ever watch a documentary and little eaglets will, will be there thinking, do I do it? Do I do it? Do I jump? Do I, do I jump? You know what finally happens? The parents begin to encourage them. The parents begin to nudge them and prod them. The parents know that baby eagle is ready to fly. It's ready to make that jump, that, that fatal leap. It's ready. To, and so they will, and finally, if that eagle won't fly, the parents will reconfigure and reconstruct the nest. They'll take away all the nice soft things in the nest and replace it with sharp sticks and make that nest so uncomfortable that the little eagle doesn't get any rest. It gets all tired and frustrated and finally it goes, I'm out of here. And it starts to fly. And maybe God's allowed your life to get a little tired, a little uncomfortable because He said, Guess what, man? It's time to get out of the nest. It's time to get out of that safe place where it's all about you and start to be all about me in this epic vision. I gave my cosmic intelligence. I gave my genius. I gave my divine IQ to mapping out a plan for your life. Why would you settle for anything less? Why would you settle for an earthbound dream? In Jesus' name, I have not called you to fly like a chicken. I've called you to soar. Like an eagle, I've called you to soar like a bird of prey. I've made you beautiful with form and purpose. In Jesus' name,
1: I've called you to soar. Yeah, that, that's that's a fine little um, ego boosting litany of untruths because none of it's revealed in God's Word. None of it. This is a different gospel. So, apparently, those who are there, who are seekers, if they make a decision today to be Christ followers, what's in it for them? Well, they haven't been brought to repentance and contrition for their sin, sorrow for transgressing the holy law of God. No, um, and they're not seeking a Jesus who will forgive their sins and save them from the wrath of God that's soon to be revealed on the last day. No, they're uh, making a decision to be a Jesus follower so they can get the first down payment on God's great grand vision for their life. And yet he had the audacity to say, oh, it's not about you. No, really, this is nothing but about you. This is narcissism at its worst, and it's not biblical teaching that you're hearing. This is not biblical Christianity, and that is not the biblical gospel.
3: So where does church um, become a lot more than a spiritual pep rally? You make that decision. I and mean, right now, my guess is everybody in the house, there's, there's some decision, an area of spiritual resistance in your life. And God...
1: Yeah, make a decision to, you know, hand over the area of spiritual resistance in your life. Just give that to me.
3: Surrender that relationship, that habit step up volunteer do that thing i know it's scary that's the enemy I
1: mean, he's so afraid yeah we need lots of free labor here in order to keep the show going and your tithe. you need to pay for the privilege to be a volunteer fly he's so afraid
3: you'll fly you start flying man you start soaring for me you do his kingdom or damage people will follow you in flight i mean he's so terrified you're going to do this thing it's, it's phobic man you're like a baby eagle got to take that step I'm going to pray you take that step for someone is to give your heart to Jesus Christ today. Both campuses, nice people, will be by the edge of the stage to help you navigate that all-important spiritual decision.
1: But to Wow, that all-important spiritual decision. Come sign on the dotted line so that you can get a, you know, the first installment on God's grand vision for your life. Hey, you can walk out of here knowing you're saved, forgiven, part of the family. Forgiven from what? Why, you keep saying forgiven. Forgi- what do I need to be forgiven of? It doesn't mention sin. Or the wrath of God. God for someone else, I
3: don't know what it is. It's a big decision. It's obedience. It's a ministry. It's
1: volunteering. It's laying aside a. Ha- There's that volunteer. Yeah, they, they need lots of free labor. It's actually it's better than free labor. You need to tithe off the gross and come volunteer and work for free at the church. You're paying for the privilege to work there. But whatever it is, make that decision. Are you tired? Are you weary? Yeah, from this false teaching, absolutely. The scripture says, young
3: men grow tired and old men grow faints. But those who wait upon the Lord, those who trust in the Lord, will mount up. They will soar with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary.
1: Yeah, you don't even know what Isaiah is about, do you?
3: They shall walk and not grow faint. Why did Jesus say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden.
1: Now I will give you rest. He wasn't talking about vision.
3: He didn't mean sedentary rest. You just sit there on your spiritual sofa and do nothing. says, no, 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 I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to provide the spiritual upcurrents of the Holy Spirit. You will soar and you will attain heights. You never... <laughs>
1: Now we're really engaging in I to Jesus.
3: I will take you farther and higher and further than you ever jump possible. That is my...
1: Be all that you can be.
3: For your life, it is epic. And all God's people loudly said...
1: No. I, <laughs> Sorry, you've lost the privilege for an amen there. <sighs> wow, that was bad. All right, so uh, yeah, chalk another bad sermon up to the Seeker Driven Guys. Yeah, I'm pretty convinced that the entire lot of them needs to be sent back to seminary to remedial hermeneutics class. Um, Wow, that was pretty bad. Again, at that rate, 181 years to work through the full counsel of the Word of God. You think any of the folks there at C.B. Glades will be alive in 181 years? That's about how long it's going to take him to work through the whole Bible. But how much do you want to bet he's going to avoid all the other passages like the plague? 171 verses per year at this rate, 171 per year. That's far, far, far from what Christ has commanded his pastors and teachers to be doing. Pray for the folks there at Church by the Glades. They're being deceived and driven by a wolf. Sad. All right, we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.